0: I'm hoping my microphone's not picking up too much of the trampling upstairs, because there's no ceiling here other than, like, I mean, no, there's nothing that covers up, like, the floor joists, so. She needs some of those sure soundproof little things. Like right, the yeah. yeah. Things. Z had suggested turning, okay, so we've got, like, two walk-in closets in the bedroom, which is just gratuitous. And she's like, you should turn one of them into a recording room. I'm like, nah, this is too small. I don't have my computer up here. There's not an outlet in here. And now I'm starting to think, maybe I'll figure out a way. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast It's being recorded in a new location to serve you better. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, my move is complete, more or less. I'm still unpacking, but uh, getting settled into the new digs. so it's time to get back to the thing we like to do, which is record a show for y'all. And this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the new Grey Knights Codex that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Finally getting a chance to, to dig into that and what's been updated for the Knights of Titan. But before that, as always, uh, news, new releases and your listener mail. And obviously, I think the biggest news item of the past couple of weeks has been the launch of Warhammer Plus. Uh, Warhammer Plus is finally out. They've got content. They've, we've had two weeks of warhammer plus so there's been like the initial week and then one week mm-hmm. of new content updates so so far they're i mean they're two for two <laughs> yeah and that's enough to plot a line so i'm just saying it's not like just one data point <laughs> well we need another week to be able to establish a trend but yeah so far so good fair enough yeah <laughs> and I'll- like all things, Games Workshop, uh, it wouldn't be right if it didn't, you know, launch without some sort of hitch or other. Now, I did not have any issues getting registered, but from what I gathered online, my uh, experience was not universal. Hmm.
1: Yeah i i had I had a few issues uh, just getting the the page to on Warhammer Plus to to load and. Because my app subscription is through Apple subscriptions, I didn't really need that page to load exactly because I just did it through my Apple settings. But I didn't know to do that until the Warhammer Plus page loaded and told me that's what I needed to do. Yeah, and I heard that that page tended to not load for a
0: lot of people. So, yeah, but I I signed up early in the morning and I – do not manage because i already was paying for the uh warhammer app directly through the my warhammer page so so that like it was really easy to do my update and i got a three dollar refund when i signed up because they refunded me for my month of warhammer app so that was cool that was nice yeah did you did you sign up uh to go month to month or did you pay for the annual because i
2: i paid for the annual Um, i went ahead and dropped um, mine dropped the year's worth yeah yeah yeah. yeah, okay. Because, yeah, they did the so same I, for me where they refunded my August uh, subscription to the app. So, yeah, uh, so far, like, I had, you know, no issues with it. The Roku app for it, uh, you know, was available the day of. Like, I was able to log in, had no issues getting it going. It, it immediately launched. You know, it's it's a feature light app. Like, there's a lot less content on there than some of the other ones, but, like, it runs a lot faster than, like, say, like the Disney Plus or HBO Max app on Roku. So, you know, so far, so good. Had no, no complaints thus far.
0: And, I yep. mean, the service is brand new. It has the amount of content that they kind of hinted it would at launch, yeah. but with the emphasis on weekly updates. For sure.
2: And and what they launched with it so far, like, you know, the, the two big shows that I've been most interested in were um, Angels of Death and then Hammer and Bolter. And so far, we've gotten two episodes of Angels of Death, which have both been amazing. Um, and then three episodes of Hammer and Bolter, two new episodes, and then they released uh, Old Bale Eyes, the third episode, which they had released as the preview, I guess, three weeks ago now. So we've got three episodes of Hammer and Bolter, and uh, I- I'm really liking the shows. Um, I think they're very they're very well done. They dig in deep into the lore. I think on Hammer and Bolter, especially. I have a slight concern that they probably jump a little too deep into like the, you know, into the, the minutiae of the of the universe without explaining stuff. Because there's a couple of them that are about like Inquisition and stuff and they just jump straight into using Inquisition terms and, t- you know. Uh, terminology and, like, ranks and stuff like that without explaining any of it. It's not disorienting to me because I'm familiar with it, but if, for example, you went to a friend's house and they're like, hey, I want to show you this, and they turned it on, you would probably be be completely lost. So, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, I just thought that was kind of odd that there wasn't, like, a primer, like, kind of lead-in episode of that, you know, where you just like, hey, this kind of establishes the rules and what the universe is, but...
0: Definitely something that's for 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 Warhammer fans rather than absolutely for you know general audiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like I've watched two of the episodes. I watched um I watched Old Bailey, and I want to say it was a Death's Head, the one with the Emperor's Tarot. Yeah. and yeah, the, those were both really, really good. good. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Death's Head's yeah. really
2: good. Um, yeah, but
1: I yeah, mean, like it. I'm partial to Old Bailey, but you know, I can't sure. imagine why. Sure.
2: no so far they've all been good like the 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 angels of death series uh is one that i've really that i've really been impressed with the the art style and the animation style is just amazing and i think that one has actually done a pretty decent job of like explaining and like easing you into the world you know it's a little bit different because it's obviously it's a it's a combined you know it's a a longer narrative rather than like just the the you know, 20-minute anthology series, so they can spend a little more time introducing
0: characters and in the setting and things like that, but uh, I've been really impressed with Angels of Death so far. Yeah, I have not had a chance to watch that one, just because I've been busy with other things, but uh, that's, I'm mm-hmm. definitely looking forward to kind of sitting down and gi- giving that one a, a watch. Also, they've had a couple of battle reports. I'm not normally one to watch a battle report, but I'll probably check these out, and I've heard that they're even featuring armies that are like heavily, heavily converted rather than just uh, featuring like whatever the new hotness is. So that's oh nice,
1: kind of yeah, nice. I, I watched one of like I think it was the second battle report that they posted. It was uh, orcs versus blood angels, and the the orc army was uh, I, I mean I wouldn't say heavily converted, but they they had like. Savage orc boys from from fantasy converted into orc boys. So nice. Uh, it's a, it was a yeah. well done. Ar- it was a it was a well done army. Good.
2: Um, I've also been watching the masterclass series, and those episodes are really good. <laughs> like, I, I really dig the uh, longer form, like paint tutorials, and like they do go through and you know do a really. I mean, they've always done a good job, I think, with their paint tutorials, but it's really good to like. Set down and spend twenty minutes, like delving into a topic and and really getting into the details on it. So I, I've been really impressed with that so far too.
0: So it it just it feels like the 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 video content is there, and if they can continue to put it out this pace and it maintains the quality that it's in, um, that this should be a pretty good service. And of course, they've just scratched the surface on the animations they're releasing because like we've. Yep. But got a couple of episodes of two of them, and there were, like, a dozen that are planned or in development. Yeah. So so we're going to have content for a while. Now, there's also the Warhammer Vault, and that one is interesting, but I think needs a little bit of work. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I, like what, I know, Kevin, one concern you had was the fact that there isn't one Warhammer Plus website. It's all over the place.
3: Yeah,
2: like, so if you go to, so watching the animations is easy, because like I said, I can go through my Roku app, um, there's a phone app that people can stream to the TVs, like that's super easy, super intuitive. But if you go to the Warhammer Plus website, you then have to click a, a link to go to the app site, a link to go to the Warhammer TV site, a link to go to the Warhammer Vault. And it's, at least in my experience, and and this has not been universal, but every time i click the link to go to one of those sites i had to sign in again that could just be something with my connection or my browser settings but like it's it's frustrating when every time you click on something you have to sign in again so that could be organized a little bit better and then like the warhammer vault pages are very interesting like i like that all that content is out there but as you alluded to with like it not being like set up the best way it possibly could be it kind of takes a little bit of time to, like, load the PDFs. And then they're all done in this, like, one, you know, one page at a time PDF form. So, like, if there's a two-page spread, you don't really see it that way. You see one page and then you see the other page right below it. I don't know. I just wish there was an option to, to display it a little bit better. Oh,
0: agreed. I, I, the, the format on these, especially... And it's interesting to see what they've included in the vault to launch. I mean, mm-hmm. we knew they were going to include the lore sections for like Curse of the Wolfen, Gathering Storm, Sanctus Reach, and that's, f- and that's fine. And then they included, uh, the lore for the original War- Age of Sigmar rule book, the painting guide for Age of Sigmar. That's cool. Yeah. Like, this would be a good place to put some of those older painting guides. And then they've got like White Dwarf, like, and I, I thought they were gonna have like, old white dwarves, you know, like, you know, from the, you know, literally like from the vault, you know, like from like the nineties and early two thousands. And instead it's all of last year's white dwarves and the first three months of 2021, which is cool. It means I don't necessarily have to keep all my paper ones around, but then they also included all 30 issues of Warhammer visions that short lived, you know, like it lasted two years and it was a weird form factor and it was all, like hobby focus and like army like army showcase style magazines for for all the games and that's that's cool and all but those magazines are full of two-page spreads and so it does not work well in this layout at all yeah And, and so it's just it's like there were there are certainly some decisions made here and and it looks like they're using a standard adobe like plugin or like web tool web interface for viewing these they're definitely pdfs but there's no way to like you can either view it as a single page at a time you can scroll through them which ends up means you end up seeing like two pages halfway at any given moment which is a mess or you can zoom in and full width which is cool for like high detail you can see how how good these scans are I mean they're really really crisp scans I mean I've got a like a, like a 2560 by 1440, 1440 monitor and at like full page width everything's crystal clear so it's like they're really high quality scans but it's like this is This is an odd choice. Like, I want to be able to see the two-page spreads as they were originally produced. So, And and again, the fact that it's on a separate site, which I find interesting. You can go to warhammerplus.com to sign up for Warhammer Plus, which then takes you to mywarhammer.com. However, (laughs) if you go to www.warhammerplus.com, that site doesn't work. It doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) So... Just, like, some basic domain handling 101 kind of failed there. And and then there's the app. As I mentioned, we did get refund. Like, we signed up for a year at a time. We got a refund on what we'd spent for the August app, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that they – and that was just an automatic. I They didn't have – like, I didn't have to approve anything. They didn't – like, it was yeah. just automatically three bucks showed back up in my bank account, which is nice. But they don't have the Age of Sigmar app. The the new one available yet, that's problematic because there's no official, I, th- I guess, I don't know if the web app that they have for building armies has been updated for third edition, but I know their phone app has not been, it's basically been left idle, but it's still around and I still have a subscription to it theoretically. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I like, I'll probably have to cancel. That's one that is managed through Apple. So I'll probably have to cancel that one. And then whenever the new app hits, download that. But it's like, that's, that's a thing that needed to be here for launch. And yeah. they still haven't fixed the issues with the 40 K app as far as like point calculations, which is a problem. Yeah. Also, they re they released the metrics on, uh, which model everyone picked for their uh for like for their yearly subscription and it was overwhelmingly the vindicare assassin
2: well of, of course because more people play 40k yeah. than Sigmar, and it's they're, they're both cool models like I'm not I'm not disparaging the uh the orc mega boss but like that vindicare assassin is freaking they're really awesome yeah.
1: <laughs> there there is kind of a like I sat and I I and I thought about it for a long time and i'm like which of those models am i more likely to use it's the orc yeah but i still chose the vindicare assassin <laughs> <because> that's <laughs> right just- i yeah. think
0: we-, we had talked about that i was <laughs> sure you were go- like you had said you were gonna pick the orc
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but and- like that it, i mean there's just <laughs> it it's it's so awesome looking. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm a little bit disappointed,
2: though, because if you'd picked the Auric, then we would have matched the overall breakdown exactly, 75 to 25. But that's fine.
0: Well, <laughs> so, no, not yet, so because Dennis I hasn't not signed up yet. yet.
2: Yeah, so, but I mean... When, so, when Dennis, you
0: have up. to order the Mega Boss, <laughs> Right. You know, the parody must be maintained. <laughs> and,
3: and then trade with Richard, maybe? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Or convert the Orc into, like, a Savage Eldar. When the the new Eldar book comes out and we actually get the Dino Riders back. <laughs>
2: um, so un- unrelated, um, this just made me think of this since you talked about Exodites. Uh, Warpstorm on Instagram, who I follow and is really good, like Sisters of Battle Painter, is working on a Exodite uh, Drakari army right now. And she's been posting, like, works in progress of, like, raiders made out of, like, dinosaurs. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah, overall, I'd say in Warhammer Plus, more positives than negatives, uh, still need, you know, still has some wrinkles to get ironed out. But mm-hmm. time time will tell if it's been a, if it is going to be a good purchase or not. And, Kevin, obviously, you and I are in it for the next year so. Right, yeah. Well, yep, time here. to so. Exactly. It out, okay, so yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So we're all in it for, except for Dennis. All in it for the next year. So uh, that, yeah. Next August, we'll be able to tell you if it's been sixty dollars well spent or not.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, back on the the battle reports, the one that I watched, it was very well like paced and very like highly like as i would expect it it had very good production values and lots of graphics and and lots of explanation as to you know what happened in the game nice without was, dragging was, on getting hung without, up on like minutia right yeah
0: did they focus like i know a lot of places that do battle reports like show off like all the all the major die rolls and things like that did they do that or did they just kind of uh they like show they, the
1: after effect they did show like a lot of. They actually did show a lot of the die, uh, the like kind of key die rolls.
2: Okay, good.
1: So okay, so like yeah, getting actually showing off the mechanics of the game, not just right. And and mis- there was you know like numerous camera angles and like like an overhead and a you know a good three quarters table view and then for like some key like casualties they they had like a a, like a zoom in on the part of the table and had like you know showed them picking up the model and and pulling it off the table
0: okay i'll have to check one it was well
1: done how long did it last was like an hour long couple
0: hours um it 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 actually i think it was about 40 minutes because
2: i i wasn't it wasn't very long yeah, I looked at him to see what the length was on those battle reports, and I was like, okay, I don't have time to watch this now, but I will later, because I would say it was right
0: around right around 40 minutes, which is okay, bad. Okay, 40 yeah. minutes is reasonable, because there's a lot of battle reports I see that drag on for like an <laughs> hour, hour and a half, and granted, that's abbreviated from a game of 40k, obviously, but it's like, sure, I'm one of these people where... Watching gameplay for too long is like mentally like watching paint dry for me. My brain just <laughs> shuts off, and, right. and that's yeah. a me thing. Yeah. That is not a, a complaint about battle reports in general, but something sure. in about the forty minute range, I think my I think I can stay engaged with. So yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Like just, I
1: like I said, it was it, I thought it was pretty well paced. I was
3: just laughing because it made me think of the NFL and how they had a, a service where you can watch like a three-hour game in, like, 20 minutes, and that mm-hmm. apparently people really like that because they get to see all the highlights without all the other stuff yeah, the, that they get bored with.
2: Yeah, NFL Network runs those, consul- those uh, condensed games during the week, and that's... that. Yeah, it's a much better way to catch up on, on games that I don't really have, like, a lot of, like, interest in, but, like, I want to see what happened. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean for for a game that is supposed to ha- take an hour, football takes forever to play. So.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, something like that that's consolidated down is good. So okay, so yeah, all right, I will definitely check out the battle reports. So, yeah, okay, so this sounds yeah. So yeah, I'm I think I'm on board for all this stuff and uh but yeah, in in a year or so and as the as stuff new stuff gets rolled out, we'll we'll talk about like the new shows and things like that and our our impressions. Yeah. Let's see. The only other major thing for 40k is what went up for pre-order this past weekend. We're recording on Labor Day, so we're a couple of days after that. But uh, Orc Codex is now available for uh, pre or for pre-order for the general public, as well as the that Orc Combat Patrol box, which we really, really liked, mm-hmm. um, and the the uh, Beast Snagger Boys and Squig Hog Boys that were in the. Like basically I think all the models that were in that box or most of them are I... available now. Y- yes, I believe so. Cuz uh yeah. Zog- Zodgrad's available for order, the Beast Snagger boys are available, the Squig Hog boys are available, the Beast Boss is available. Yeah. And then that uh that Big Ed Boss Bunka which is the gargant head that's been turned into a fortification. Yeah, is yeah that
1: awesome. Although I, I have been told that that is supposedly web only. So no stores will have it. Yeah. And if you click on the pre-order
0: link, uh, error 404, all records expunged from library. So uh, I'll have to...
2: Oh, weird. I, I'm I wonder- on the... A- yeah, I'm okay on the, so, I
0: mean I'm on the pre order page right now. <laughs> I'm on I see the pre order page, but if you link from the the Warhammer community pre order page, ah, like okay. the image itself has a pre order. But it, yeah, like if you click the name of the like the link big Ed oh, boss bunka or the pre order link, it goes to a like they got the page number wrong.
2: Oh, that's weird. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Huh.
2: Okay, because yeah, I just went to the GW site and was on it. Yeah, on the GW I want to site, pick it's up there. Yeah. Because I do want to pick up one of those bunkers because that's going to go really well with like the kill team terrain, you know. The, oh yeah. The orc. So yeah. I it, and it just it just looks cool. Like
0: <laughs> also, I, they're continuing the trend of making readable dice that only have a symbol on one side on the six. <laughs> yeah. Good job.
2: I picked up the yeah. um the the thousand sun dice uh, and those are really nice. Like they're really good dice. So yeah,
0: keep keep. Yeah, it up. I, yeah, I, 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 whoever made the change on how they're presenting dice to make usable, clearly readable dice instead of wacky gimmick dice, give that person a raise because they uh, they they hit it out of the park. Well, they also give you like
2: a, a a larger set, so you get like twenty now, so you actually get like enough to use for forty k. Yes,
0: yeah, <laughs> like and and the packaging is just like a little like paper and clear plastic blister pack. It's like not. Not one of the like hard plastic tubes, which you know, co- you know raises the cost of it. Mm-hmm. As most people are using dice bags anyway, so it's like you don't you don't need to give me anything fancy. Just give me some dice. Yeah, no, I, I like what the I, I like this trend of dice that they've had, and they've carried like I think the Blood Angels and like Daughters of Cain stuff were one of the earlier sets to have the like to start this trend, and they've just continued it since then, and I'm I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. All right. So that pretty much finishes up our news and new releases. And uh, let's continue on to your listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and we'll tell you how you can have your letter read on the air at the end of the segment. Uh, First one is from Paul Candle. Paul writes, good day, guys. From the last time I sent you a list, I found that Admech with the Raiders recommendation was better in subsequent games. And I'm assuming he's talking about the Cerberus Raiders, which Cerberus Raiders, super good right now. Pretty much anything Skitari or most things Admech, really good right now. So... (laughs) Um, he continues as to the topic of submarine in games which we talked about last episode I like the idea of random pairing that was brought up on the show my idea expands on the rounds rule in that randomized winners every round and the final round with the top two scores facing off with tiebreakers of margin of victory by round etc I think this does put more work on TOs and that there's an additional mechanic that has to be accounted for I also think score totals should be held by the TOs and not disseminated until the end of the semifinals round so players do not see what others have this ensures players have to play games out as opposed to talking games out and the two top scores on the are on the top table for the last game what are your guys' thoughts thanks Paul i I don't know about the top two scores and and my my thinking yeah. on that is there will be times when two top players face each other and it's not a clear blowout yeah. Uh, where it's like if they are neck and neck and like one of them ekes out a win over the other, because they're both packing really good armies, very well played it. And they have the same win loss record as someone who got a couple of early, like earlier mid range games in where they just stomped their opponents and racked up like, you know, hundred to 10, hundred and hundred to 15 wins. It doesn't make sense that those people, that that person who had easier matches should necessarily be on the top table over the the two top player, like the player who had a really hard game against a really good player and still won. Like, I don't think that should necessarily enter into it apart from, I mean, technically it kind of does right now as far as rankings when it gets to... You know, final record, and uh, like we we talked about Flying Monkey. Flying Monkey had was a case where they had like the first three rounds randomized between winners, and then after that, uh, went mm-hmm. by the the more traditional points. And I think that's that's fine, but I think leaving it as a surprise until the t- the final game is a bad idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, I. I don't necessarily mind doing the randomized pairings, you know, all the no, way. No, no, I like pair, that. You know, yeah. But yeah, I I, I yeah, I don't know that I like keeping scores from people. And because as a TO, like a big thing is just transparency. And if you're holding scores back and then you get to the very end and you're like, okay, now it is the institute people playing at the top table. And then that's the first time anybody knows. Ah, that I could see that causing some issues. I see where they're coming from. I see where Paul's coming from on this. But like, I, I just, as a TO, I think I would rather default to being as transparent on decision making and like how we're doing pairings and things like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky. Like, it's definitely tricky because there's a there's a balance to be had there. But my my default would be to lean towards like more transparency so people know exactly where they're you know what's going on and where they're at um so that there's no you know can't be any accusations that like things are being you know gamed or anything like that but yeah
0: well and also one thing about like saying well the TOs shouldn't release any scores it ignores one fundamental fact of human nature people talk right people are going to share the like people are going to talk about the scores they got and they're going to hear other people like like somebody plays a top player and says, "Oh yeah, he stomped me like you know twenty to ninety yeah. well now it it doesn't matter if you've if the t o is not releasing that information that information's out there now, so and the
3: bigger your group that you go with that your your social circle there the big the yeah. more you'll know like if you were going there by yourself, you would have to just overhear people while if you had like a team of like six to eight people who all traveled together well. You might then have a meetup after the games. Well, you always do anyway. Just ask people how it goes, and well, that information is getting out, like you said, Rob, through word of mouth that way. And so it would give advantage to those bigger social groups if you didn't. Oh yeah, post it's it like for
0: everyone. You know, Frozen North yeah. or uh, Bro Hammer travels to an event. Like let's say Frozen North travels to an event. Well, it doesn't matter if if the tos aren't releasing how much Matt Root or Ben Sherwin won their or Scott Beligan you know ran won their last game by everyone their, their team's gonna know because they're gonna like yeah. even if the to unless the to puts in a hard rule that says if i catch you talking about your scores i'll give you a yellow card which would be insane but <laughs> it's like yeah it's like there if nothing else that team is going to share information so that they can better strategize on on how to face that you know if like hey if you play this guy next round this is what you need to know about that's yeah. what they do i mean that's the whole point of having a gaming club and a gaming team yeah so yeah. uh yeah so it's like it's i i think but i think you know, paul paul's intentions are very good i just think yeah. it's it has it has some fundamental issues and it's it will fall apart once you get to real
2: world situations yeah i think you're right i think how I don't think there's any way to be able to like enforce that. Um, yeah, and and I think the other thing too is if you're if you're doing random pairings, you know, and you're randomly matching people up for the first three rounds, all rounds, etc., you know, until the final round. I think you have to let people know that a you're doing random pairings, and then you b have to show the scores because otherwise you're going to get accusations of oh well we don't see the scores why did this person get you know, randomly get a bunch of easy matches to the final. Like, you have to be transparent on it. I I just, I just can't, you know, I just think that's the better way to do it. And I think one or the other is like a good way to prevent submarining. I I think both seems like it's just going to cause more problems, or it's going to cause different problems. So, right. I still think the best way to do it is, is the random pairings within, you know, randomly pairing up people who won and that'll at least for first few rounds will prevent submarining. And then from there you just, you know, play it out and see who wins. But
0: right. Yeah. I I think, you know, randomizing the first three rounds also like trying to keep scores hidden until like a certain round. Again, most people use best choice pairings. I don't know if best choice pairings supports that. Yeah. I, that I don't know, but, uh, I mean, like for me,
2: like because I go there's a podcaster and a I'm not winning and stuff like that. Like I tweet out the results of my matches. You know, I'll go out there and I'll say like, hey, yeah, I played this person. He did this. He beat me by this score. You know, <laughs> this was the MVP of the match. It's like that. Like so, it's uh, people talk and like that's the whole point of like going to these events is that is that kind of communal aspect of it. So I I, I just don't see. I think it's going to be a lot of effort to police that, and I just don't really see the see what the benefit is.
0: Yeah, I think there are just easier fixes that people are yeah. already doing, and uh, so I, I think this this solution feels like again well intentioned, little bit of overkill, and very difficult yeah. to actually pull off in a reasonable fashion. All right. Uh, next letter is from Reese Lewis. Reese writes, greetings from Wales, foes of choice. Uh, first off, I love your show, and I've been listening since I got back in the hobby in the twilight year of 7th edition. Oh, what a time it was. Ah, yes, the end of 7th edition. May it never come back. <laughs> May it stay far, far away. As I just listened to your episode on the Orc Codex and you requested feedback, I quite liked the format as it didn't feel like such a long slog through the codex, uh, though some insights on points of interest is always nice. Uh, So, to my question, which is a very broad one and you may have touched on recently, feel free to discard. No, I think this is good to talk about. Do you think the game is becoming, or has already become, too killy Uh, To clarify my point, as a game about soldiers being too killy seems a bit daft, uh, the damage and AP of weaponry seems to be forever on the increase, and I'm really not a fan of the trend. I don't want to single them out here as they're just a good example, but when the Drukari Codex arrived, it brought a lot of really high AP and consistent damage weaponry. Units without an invulnerable save can very easily be instantly killed with no interaction from the player who owns the models. With the arrival of the Thousand Suns and Grey Knights, I think we'll see this again, but from mortal wounds, which are even harder to defend... My concern is that the game is shifting towards players interacting less in each other's turns as we see an increasing amount of things that can outright deny a saving throw. Unless I have a nest defensive stratagem, it can feel like I'm a spectator in an opponent's turn. I remember when the launch of 8th edition was celebrated as Imperial Guard actually got saves against bolters, but we've moved a long way from that since. This turned out to be far longer than planned, sorry, but wanted to get your thoughts as this has been on my mind of late. Many thanks, Reese. So, first of all, thanks, Reese. Especially thanks for the feedback on the uh, the Codex review format. And I think we are going to stick with that. It Because, for one thing, it doesn't take nearly as long to record or edit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and, but I, I think it's also... You don't need us to just read the book to you. So, that's that's good. Um, so, anyway, to his core question. Is 9th edition, and the is this current edition of the game, too killy? Like, are, have we gotten to a point where it is... Models are just getting pulled off the table left and right, and there's really no recourse, especially for armies that haven't adjusted to uh, – or haven't been adjusted to the new uh, new rules yet.
1: Uh, as somebody who typically plays Horde armies, like, I don't know. I'm used to all of my stuff dying without a save anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem that much different to me. <laughs>
3: I, I will say I've I've noticed the trend as well I, I don't think, Drakari probably just highlighted it, but throughout the entire course of the edition, things have gotten, I mean, first it was way to fire, now we're getting back to the big things that don't give saves I don't really know a solution to this um, but yeah, some armies right now are just going to be, I don't say higher tier, because that's not the right word, but more desired in, in how they can pump out unsavable wounds mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and that is true, although I also find it interesting that one of the biggest armies that have unbalanced the scene lately has been adeptus mechanicus, and one of its problems has been the fact that they were finding ways to stack save bonuses and toughness bonuses and things and, and wound reduction to make like unkillable uh Blocks of Scatari that could just then also alpha strike something off the board. So there's a fine balance between getting too killy and having an army be too resilient. Um, and too resilient armies are also no fun to play against. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, think about playing against, like, Death Guard or Nurgle Demons in parts of 8th edition. Just... Like, two Death Guard or Nurgle Demon players getting into a game together would just never finish because nothing would die. And uh, before the 9th edition Necrons changed how uh, reanimation protocols worked, that was also a problem with, uh, like, Necron on Necron fights. I heard of games where, like, two Necron players facing each other were like, no units died for, like, four turns. You know, it was just, like, that's also a problem. There definitely has been a trend towards better AP, more damage, or at least more consistent damage. We're seeing a lot of rolling damage being removed or, you know, like anything that's D3 tends to be replaced with just a flat two these days. Um, Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of uh, like weapons that used to be D6 being like D3 plus three you know again we're seeing more consistent damage output melta weapons now being d6 plus 2 if you're in within uh, half range so yes there definitely is a, a push towards weapons doing more damage and partly i think especially with like what have been traditionally anti tank weapons has been a response to the fact that with weapon with vehicles now having just wounds rather than being able to be one shot by rolling well on a damage table. Uh, I think eighth edition showed that vehicles could be very resilient. And thus we saw, we've seen ninth edition correct that by having anti-vehicle weapons that actually can put out a lot of consistent damage. But the flip side is that makes every, like you're seeing, I think vehicles in some cases, not all, but in some cases, some vehicles are getting taken less because they are less uh they're they're now considered less resilient and there's more focus on like small units of troops because if you flood the field with targets then it doesn't matter if like if you outnumber your opponent unit-wise they can't fire at all your units before they're off the table so this is just a balance of game that like, we've been in periods of MSU before. We're going into a, f- a period of MSU again. Um, and I, I think it's just the killiness of the game just kind of ebbs and flows. And we're, we are, de- I'd say we're definitely in a killier phase now. Although there's a, a few things that can be, there's like one thing that players and TOs can do right now to mitigate that consist- consistently and that is good table and terrain placement yeah because i mean that's one thing i i saw from some of the uh feedback from uh where's the the metal watch article now granted this is from a games workshop event asking people who were at the orlando open and played in it so be careful how like take this with a grain of salt because obviously there's there's some bias here but one of the things they they fig you know, they've been looking at the the go first win rate, and that's something like Goonhammer has been very carefully calculating that. And Games Workshop is taking a look at that also. And uh, there's uh, – so like this is from the Meta Watch, Five Things We Learned at Warhammer 40,000 from the Orlando Open. Um, there's much conversation about the advantage conferred by having the first turn in Warhammer 40,000. It's a common phenomenon in turn-based games. Even chess has this advantage with White's win rate estimated at between 52 to 56%. Going first is an inherent advantage in a game because it means you, you can theoretically remove, like, put yourself in a better position or remove Mm -hmm. something from the board before your opponent can use it they continue the go win rate go first win rate in warhammer 40k is reckoned at about 57 to 58 percent. this is due to several factors most prominently the threat of a powerful alpha strike from the first player which distorts the way armies are built to either take advantage of or defend against this possibility Um, the event team at the u.s open in orlando focused on battlefields to mitigate the effects of alpha strikes making sure they are still visually appealing and fun to fight over Their efforts bore fruit with an average go-first win rate of just 52%. This suggests that a thoughtful terrain setup can be a major factor in reducing first-turn advantage, leading to closer, more fun games. That said, one event doesn't set a trend all on its own, so we'll be carefully watching the results of the next two U.S. Opens in October and November. The two switching terrain setups had a massive impact, agrees Brian Jones, who piloted his Imperial Knights to sixth place. My knights were presented with decisions, movements, and objectives that allowed me to compensate for the large amount of obscuring terrain. So, I mean, right there, they're talking about how terrain can mitigate that alpha strike and killiness. And, you know, if you're worried about the game being uninteractive, part of what you can do is put yourself, like, have terrain on the table so that your units can survive and then get into position themselves and be killy as well. Which I mean, 40k, because it's not uh, an alternating activation system, but it is a I go you go system, is always going to have that issue where there's not as much interactivity as you might like, a- and the game is definitely more killy. But I think terrain having good terrain, you know, obscuring terrain, so you've got that line of sight blocking effect, uh, and well placed so the units can move in you know, move into terrain easily will help that because it will either help you get the defensive bonus, like either the minus one to be hit or the plus one to save or both. If you can like stack, find ways to stack bonuses that can go a long way towards mitigating that killiness. Um, and then some armies like guard hasn't been updated for the new edition yet. So we don't know what things they will bring to the table to either make them more killy in response or to be able to mitigate or how like will they bring back some of the old platoon systems so you can have like big blobs of troops that can shrug off, you know that can weather that kind of damage or strats that can will allow them to ignore penalties from like have their vehicles act as though they were at full things like that., you know, it's like that's how you'll deal with this, but they've obviously decided, that ninth edition, the weapons need to be killier. I mean, they they announced that when like they had the space marine codex come out and say, this is how we're updating all the weapons. Like heavy bolters do two damage, and power swords are all plus one strength, and uh, melta weapons do that extra damage. Like obviously they want they want games to be killier, which also makes games go faster. <laughs> because if if all your shit dies, then you're done playing. <laughs> so yeah, so it's. I, I don't know if the, it's necessary like yes it is I don't know if it's necessarily a problem and it's something that games can be designed around and armies and tables can be designed around I know Dennis you've you've played more recently in ninth edition than I have like has your experience been that uh, the uh, that games are killier than like units die more easily than you remember I'm
3: gonna have to say no the only time I really felt they were killier was like at the start or like index 40k that's the only time i really felt the game was really killy now it it feels i hate saying this phrase but it feels like normal 40k where the terrain helps keep people alive and you can use it to kind of block line of sight from a lot of the big alpha striking long range units so it it feels more like a mid-range game because that's about the time when you'll want to pop your guys out of cover or if you your opponent has or I, I had like a fire prism sit in the back just monitoring that sight line and it's the turn somebody left it out something out in the open you can shoot but you either have to go find your own sight lines or hope that your opponent runs out of movement or hat is going for a valuable target that's kind of goaded them into those sight lines. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, it, it feels more killy when you're out in the open, but because, yeah, I'll say because of terrain, it, it feels about the same amount of killy.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I'm like, like I know with, when I played my la- last games in ninth, I played with my, my death guard, um, not having the old, disgustingly resilient made my units die a little bit more easily easily but the damage reduction that was built in and the extra wound they had kind of made up for that so yeah it's like that army felt resilient but not annoyingly so and yeah again terrain and placing terrain properly and trying to find ways to, like get the drop on your opponent uh transports are still a good way to mitigate killing mitigate this because your guys will more often than not most of them will survive being in the middle box. So it's, you know, that also helps quite a bit. So yeah, I, like I said, I think the weapons are, are deadlier, but the, the terrain system is better. And I think that makes up for it because if we had the new terrain system, but the old like weapon AP and damage, then the games would just, it'd be a slug fest because it would just drag, it would drag on. It wouldn't, it would be not killy enough. So you, you have to keep all those, tensions in balance
3: but to the point unfortunately some armies are going to be better at that than others
0: yeah and especially armies that haven't been updated yet are are gonna suffer that so it'll it'll just depend as we see more codexes coming out uh over the next year or so because i imagine by the end of 2022 everybody should be pretty much updated there's only like two uh, Imperium armies and we know one of them is because Guard hasn't been updated and Talons of the Emperor haven't been updated and I'm curious if they're going, because they're so small if like, in, I could see Inquisition and Assassins being rolled into a Talons slash Agents of the Imperium Yes, Kevin, it could come back
2: <laughs> As as I've well, said, with this, with this design, I don't mind that <laughs> Yeah
0: uh but like roll those into a book together but uh you know that that's definitely something that could could be updated but yeah yeah until like custodes are doing okay right now but until guard gets updated guard's going to struggle and yeah tau gene stealer cults nids you know armies like that who are not designed for this edition are going to struggle all right next letter is from Trey Swanson Trey writes Hello, Preferred Enemies. I have a question regarding casual play you may be able to help with. My Sons of Prospero recently obtained a new tome, and while poring over the new scrolls, my local community announced a Crusade League starting. Psychic Mastery of the Warp is why I chose my space librarians, and I get into it. My forces mixed between 40k and 30k models to boost the look tremendously. This include rivalries with the lo- local Volka Fenrica and the Golden Janitors. With this new league, we are trying to engage much of the newer initiates that picked up the hobby over Nurgle's dominance. For my question, I am concerned that I may overwhelm them with a barrage of sorceress might. What are your thoughts on what is too much? It's a fine line as it's my primary way to deal with vehicles outside of a hellbrute. Maybe two represented by my a Siren and 30k dreads. Uh thank you all for taking the time to read this and good luck good gaming and good day. Uh and for those of you who don't know the Siren is the 1000 Thousand Suns 30k special contemptor design. With, oh like yeah a, which which looks a copesh. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a badass looking model. How much psychic might is too much? Um well thing is if you're Thousand Suns that's kind of your thing. That's like Yeah. <laughs> that that's like saying oh man this death guard army i really shouldn't play play you know i should like downplay the amount of like plague weapons i use because this, you know the, this corn army is too good in melee <laughs> and i'm going to take my all shooty corn army
3: i mean my suggestion would be keep it there just make sure you explain it yeah cuz that's the key once people get it explained to them yeah they'll probably be surprised shocked for the first two three weeks but then they'll have learned so just i would say just be patient and explain things i mean we had this talk about like how much do you explain to people and especially if it's a new person and you want to get them in and keep them into the hobby explain as much to like so they have that understanding so they can try and develop strategies on their own on how to counter it
0: yeah yeah and um as far as like if you're concerned about like the damage output or you know the imbalancing, again it's like that's kind of your thing yeah it mortal wound output from psychic powers is rough and there are some armies that really suffer against that cuz they because they don't have any uh, ability to mitigate that like again tau is a perfect example where you have no anti psychic defense it's just mm-hmm. you know you're you're You have no way to deny the witch. You're just going to take what they dish out at you. Unfortunately, a lot of those powers do require line of sight. So again, it's one of those things where, hey, you know, look at the tables and how they're played. Also, you have control over how many psychic powers you use if you feel like the game's getting overwhelming. Uh, And this is a casual uh, narrative because you're doing a crusade league. So it's going to be narrative focused. Uh, you can decide to hold back if you want. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, if it feels like the game's going in a direction where you're crushing some new player, you can hold back. Uh, that's that's absolutely... But I wouldn't necessarily... Like, it's really hard to not build a Thousand Suns list that is going to be, like, psyker light. Yeah. One thing I would suggest, too, is, like, when you roll up your power... Like, when
2: you select your psychic powers in the list building, maybe, like maybe roll them randomly. Like, I don't know, like, you know, since it's a crusade league and you're doing narratively like, oh, we're in a warp storm and like, we don't have the same power. So we're just rolling randomly on what powers we get. And that might help mitigate it too a little bit. We're like, yeah, I'm not just taking, you know, uh, Doombolt, for example, and just, you know, sniping people. Like I'm going to get other powers that do things that, you know, do utility spells as well, rather than, just damage output and i think that that might that might help mitigate it a little bit
0: right and if i remember right, crusade play also tends to shy away from using named characters like so like armon or magnus for example um i would definitely like don't drop the big boys On the table, like (laughs) leave it to things like Exalted Sorcerers and and Zangor Shaman, stuff like that, if you're worried about being overwhelming. But again, it's really hard to not make a Psyker heavy, especially because like you in the previous version of the Codex. Spoilers, because we haven't talked about the Thousand Sun Codex yet. Uh, You could just take, like, I'll just take, like, a Sorcerer and then a whole bunch of Zangor for my troops and just focus on that. Well, they've got now rules that say, like, it's kind of like the way that Cultists and, uh, like, Poxwalkers work for Death Guard. Um, You can only take, like, one unit of Zangor for every unit of, like, Thousand Sons of Stardes you have. So... You have, you, you, you can't even like avoid having aspiring sorcerers in your army. It's like you have to mm-hmm. for how it's constructed. So, um, yeah, that's just going to be part of it. Um, I mean, you can do things like lean on cultists, lean on Zangors as you can, but at some point you're going to have psychers going with, you know, maybe put in more transports, things like that. So like you have fewer points to spend on more psychic stuff. Like there's things you can do, but. But in the end, just remember, thousand, you know, your thousand sons, psychers, and, and that's the part of the game that you enjoy. You've said so yourself, like, that's what gets you into this army. So don't shy Mm. away from that. Just be cognizant of how you use it against a new player and, you know, whether it's random powers or not casting everything you could or, and especially in a, uh, crusade game like lean into your agendas play up to those things rather than just focusing on killing the opponent do more psychic rituals as your like objectives you know things like where you're using your psychic characters to do non-offensive actions that's another way that you can um Mm -hmm. like make use of that without it just being like burying your opponent in mortal wounds and then finally, our last letter from Neil Morris. We've got some rules questions. Neil writes, hi, preferred enemies. I'm a long-time listener with a couple of Eldari questions for your hopper. Question oh, one. Yes, we get to dig <laughs> out uh, the Craftworlds uh, codex. Um, question one. Do the leadership modifiers from a Hemlock Wraith Fighters Mindshock pod stack if you're within range of two different Hemlocks? Question two, if you discharge wave serpent's serpent shield, do you have to declare it when you declare the serpent's shooting attacks? You discharge it in the shooting phase, but it's not listed as a weapon, has no weapon profile, there's no hit roll to enroll save. And question three, how does a blast weapon such as the Doomweaver, which has 2d6 shots, work with the blast rule? Do you round each individual dice result up to three or just the combined result up to three? Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Neil from Craftworld Luganath. So all three of these are actually very easy to answer uh, with uh, number two, I think does require a little bit of interpretation, but uh, number one and three are very easy because they're actually spelled out either in the, the codex itself or in the FAQs. Uh, so question one, do the leadership modifiers from a Hemlock Wraith Fighters Mindshock pod stack if you're within range of two different Hemlocks? The answer is no. And that is because the ruling, the, the text on the Mindshock pod, and again, eighth edition codex still legal. So we're still, and has not been FAQ'd otherwise. Mindshock Pod says units must subtract two from their leadership characteristic whilst they're within 12 inches of any enemy hemlock wraith fighters. Plural. So if you're within range of two, it's still the same effect. You're within range of one or more. Your leadership is reduced by two, not by four. If it was like this like a hemlock wraith fighter or this hemlock wraith fighter, that would that would be different, but because it's any Ra- Hemlock Wraith Fighters, it doesn't matter if you're surrounded by like triangulated by three of them. The Mind Shock Pod still only would affect once, I would say. Second question: If you discharge a wave serpent, Serpent Shield, do you have to declare it when you declare the shooting attacks? So the Serpent Shield, as he's he correctly states, this is not a weapon per se. But um, let, if you read the uh, the portion of the uh, serpent shield abilities th- that are relevant, a wave serpent can discharge its serpent shield in its shooting phase by rolling a d6, and then it goes into the rules of how you determine how it affects. So it the word its is going to do a lot of heavy lifting here. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to give you a warning. Because if we look at the rules on the shooting phase... You select a unit from your army to shoot with. When the unit shoots, you select targets and resolve attacks with any any and all range weapons that model in the unit is equipped with. Then you select another unit in your army to shoot with. No unit can be selected to shoot with more than once in each shooting phase. And then once all your eligible units that you wish to shoot with have done so, your shooting phase ends, you progress to the charge phase. And the reason I say it's is doing a lot of heavy lifting here is that the phrase it's shooting phase. That implies that you have selected the wave serpent for the current shooting phase. Like this is you are in. If it said your shooting phase, I'd say you could do it at any time, but because it says it's shooting phase, you have selected the wave serpent. You are you are working through uh, resolving its shooting attacks in that period when you were resolving its shooting attacks. You decide whether or not to fire the serpent shield and resolve its mortal wound ability. Once you have resolved all of its shooting attacks, you can't, it is done in that shooting phase and you move on to another unit. At that point, its shooting phase is done. So you can't select it, like you can't go on to a second unit and then say, oh, and I'm going to fire the serpent shield now. Because you've already missed the wave serpent's shooting phase if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think that's a fair interpretation. And like I said, it all comes to that difference between its and your. Because like I said, if it was your shooting phase, then I'd say, yeah, you could resolve it at any time. And it hasn't been eroded to change that wording in any way. But because it's its shooting phase, it has to be when you're resolving its attacks because you can't select it again later.
3: That sounds like it's wrapped up.
0: Yeah, yes, that Sorry, one. I had to throw yeah, some more it's, it's. No, no, that's fine. It, it's time to move on to the next question. Different it's. That's an apostrophe. s. Yes, it's. Yeah, well, it's what it's.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: now on to it's chapter two, the disappointing one. <laughs> All right, so question three, how does a blast weapon, which has 2d6 shots, uh, work with the blast rules? This is actually answered in the core book FAQ, and it's actually the very first thing that's mentioned in the core book FAQ under designer notes, blast and multiple dice rolls. In addition to the errata here, we wanted to briefly add an additional example to explain how the blast rule works when shooting a weapon that requires more than one dice roll to determine its number of attacks. For example, if a heavy 2d3 weapon with the blast rule targets a unit that has six or more models and you roll a double one to determine how many attacks are made, that result is less than three. And so that weapon makes three attacks against that target. If the same weapon targets a unit that has 11 or more models, that weapon makes six attacks against that unit. So it's the total number of attacks generated by rolling the dice, not a per die roll. So in this case... If the Doom Weaver has 2d6 shots, if you're firing at a unit that has 6 to 10 models in it and you roll snake eyes, or you then you will do three three shots rather than two. If it was 11 or more, you do your full 12 because you max out the number of shots. But yes, you do not round individual dice to three. You just look at the combined result and round that up to three if for some reason you roll less. So in this case, yeah, it's only if you roll snake eyes. If you roll anything else, it'll be that number of attacks, unless the unit is a blob of eleven or more, in which case you would just not roll; you just max out the number of attacks. And like I said, you can find that on the core book FAQ, and like I said, it's the very first thing that's that's listed under the designer's notes on the on the first page of that FAQ. And if you have a rules question or a uh, question about the nature of the game how tournaments should be run uh comment commentary on anything we've done before or uh just have something you want to say uh there are three good ways to get that to us uh first off is our email and you can email us at our first names at preferred enemies so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at or our first names at preferred dot com yes dennis you weren't here last episode but i did set that up so we have that <laughs> cool. as an official alias. Yes So if you, met, if you email our first names at preferred uh one word, uh, then uh, it goes to all four of us. Uh, second is Facebook, we are facebook.com/ preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us. Uh, we post on things on upcoming episodes, things that are going on, uh, anything that catches our eye and that we find interesting. Uh, third is Twitter. We are twitter.com/ preferred enemy singular. And, uh, we take all our, we take questions and comments from all those three sources, collate them together, put them in the hopper, and get through as many as we can in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, we have emptied out the hopper in this one, so if you want to get your letter read on the air next episode, now is a perfect time to get it in. Uh, also, uh, if you want to help support the show, we do have a Patreon. Uh, if you have money to support the show, we definitely prefer that you look first at uh, people in your community who might need help, especially with the fact that extended uh, unemployment benefits are are ending this week uh, for a lot of people and a lot and. Uh, rent moratoriums are ending for a lot of people. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people that need help in your community. So look at rent funds, food banks, uh, just find, find places to donate your time and money and use your wargaming powers for awesome. But after that, if you want to help uh, us with the show, um, we, you go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. It's an online tip jar. We don't hide any of our episodes or any content. Uh, behind a uh, paywall. But if you want to help support like our hosting costs and uh, keeping our equipment up to date, uh, getting our travel funds, which Dennis, I know you are going to iron halo. So we may be able to actually pay for your hotel room if you'd like. Sweet. Um,
3: That would, that would be kind of helpful.
0: (laughs) That's the, that's what the fund is there for is to help support us going to events and providing, uh, providing coverage. So, uh, if you, if you want to help support us in doing the things we do, um, then uh, that's it, a place you can go. And even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up, and it really does help out. So we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be look, taking our look at the new Grey Knights Codex. See you in a bit.
1: Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We
3: love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle, and back again, safely.
0: And that's where KR Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system.
2: They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard sized miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
1: KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried
0: in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even
2: choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays
1: for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, warm hordes, or historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs.
3: You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase.
0: Soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. Their
3: professionally designed rubber based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain.
1: Their mats are padded, anti slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered
3: with their folding board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to
2: www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving
0: your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at the brand new 9th edition Grey Knights Codex. Um, we're going we're to mostly try to hit the high points on this rather than doing a deep dive in. And unlike the Orc Codex, this is one where we don't have to cover a lot of new units because there aren't any. It's just updates to existing stuff. But it's... I would say the uh some of the updates are are quite good for Grey Knights. Uh if you don't know who the Grey Knights are, the Grey Knights are a uh chapter of space marines who are the militant arm of the Ordo Malleus. Also they are also considered the 666th chapter. I can't imagine why they would have chosen that number for reasons, but uh they're the 666th chapter of space marines and they directly serve the Inquisition to hunt down the demon and destroy it. In fact, they are—that is their area of expertise. That and wearing cunning hats made of sisters of battle. See Matt Ward is from Fifth Edition. Uh, I was about to drop that joke in, but you beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I do it first, I can stop you from doing it. That's the important thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, basically, this was uh, founded – like, the Grey Knights were f- effectively founded right after the Horus Heresy when it was re- – you know, when it was learned what the implications of of the Horus Heresy and the fact that, yes, there was a warp and there were demons and there was possession and the, some of the Primarchs had fallen to demonhood. And so, uh, Malkador, the Sigilite himself, took a group of uh, space marines to – to the moon of Titan... uh, to Saturn's moon, Titan, and basically set them up there as a special force to start investigating and fighting demons. And so they've still been based out of uh, Titan this whole time. And it's like one of those things where, like a lot of things in the Inquisition, you aren't really supposed to know about the Grey Knights I've always gathered.
1: Yeah, that, like, yeah, they don't exist.
0: Yeah, it's like... (laughs) nudge nudge it's like oh, oh, you spotted the grey knights, uh, you're gonna have to be purged, apparently, it was you, you saw something and now now you didn't, so, and otherwise they they're they are established, they're a little bit different uh they they don't follow the codex Astartes for one thing, um they're all psychers, every single one of them, and instead of being broken you know because it is one chapter, they are still instead of having companies of gray knights we instead have
1: something that's been added to the fluff called brotherhoods i mean as a as a general sort of manner of organization for the like brotherhoods have been a thing that have been their structure for for quite a while okay yeah so so yeah the
0: brotherhoods are basically their exist their A type of company but instead of a company like in the Codex Astartes a company is like first company is veterans second through like second through like fifth company are like tactical companies and then after that it gets into like reserve companies instead you have brotherhoods that are dedicated more towards particular aspects of the fight against the demon so they're like for example the third brotherhood is the ward makers and they uh focus on learning to contain demonic energies and put up wards that prevent them uh the fourth brotherhood is the prescient brethren which they focus on like precognizance and be able to determine where things might come out of the warp so we've got the you know you've got this group that's been broken into into brotherhoods and we've never seen that reflected in gameplay but we do now and there's a special focus on uh the wardmakers that third that third brotherhood because that's where uh grandmaster voldus who's a character that was introduced uh i think a couple of editions back is based out of and uh, that's actually also where like captain stern who's an an, uh, an older gray knights character is based yeah And then you've got some subgroups that kind of fall outside of that, like the Chambers of Purity, which is where we get the Purifiers, which are kind of an elite subgroup of Grey Knights, led by Castellan Crow, who recently got a new model in the Hexfire set. Yep. And, and yeah, that's, I mean... One of the great things about the, the, the brotherhoods is each one has its own kind of heraldry. So that goes into the designs that are painted on Grey Knight's models. A lot of Grey Knight models, especially like Terminators and have uh, like tilt shields. And you'll see that worked into like the painting on the, on the tilt shield on their chest or like onto their shoulder pads. Uh, you'll see it marked on like their Land Raiders and Rhinos. So if, if you, just look at Grey Knights and think, uh, silver. There's actually a lot of room for customization with, like, color schemes. And, and they do focus on that a lot when they get into, like, the color plates of the various uh, vehicles. More so than I think they've done in the... Like, in the past, they've been like, oh, yeah, you can put some, like, red and white here to, to you know, show it's a Grey Knight vehicle and put some markings. But they're really kind of leaning into that Brotherhood heraldry, which I really dig. It's It's a way to make the army more visually interesting. Yeah. But as far as the, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say beyond that, you know, the Grey Knights, it's like demon hunting all psychic space marines.
3: Do they get cybold the ammo again?
0: Uh it's a stratagem. So well, at they, least it's there. Well, it is there. It's it's not as like ridiculous as it as it was like back in the days like the fifth edition codex, um when yeah, cybold ammunition was just oh you have bolters, but better at all times. They don't, Sounds they don't, like do death that wash, right? <laughs> ah, but you have the right bolter to use the the special ammunition of. Uh, if you don't, guess what? You're just like every other intercessor. Oh, <laughs> it's true. Um, and so we'll, we'll dig into the actual rules themselves. Um, a couple of things that have change and again we're going to focus on the highlights here and this is not a big codex with a lot of new stuff so this will go probably relatively quickly Uh, yeah uh, so uh one thing that has changed on gray knights is how you build your army uh used to be grandmasters everywhere like grandmasters were like just the best characters to have all the time so grandmasters were everywhere and they, they've they kind of changed that up. And this is in line with things like, yeah, you can't have two captains in the same detachment, things like that. So you can only have uh one grandmaster model and one brother captain model in any given detachment. Uh, detachments in general have to be from the same brotherhood. And you can't have more than one grandmaster and more than one brother captain from the same brotherhood in your army. So if you have... Two detachments, and you're like, I'm going to make them both Wardmakers. Guess what? You can't have you can't have double Grandmasters war- from Wardmakers. You can't have double gra- uh, double brother captains from Wardmakers. Uh, and that also carries over to Grandmaster Voldus. He is considered a Grandmaster. He is from the Wardmakers, so you can't have him and a Grandmaster in the same detachment, or another Wardmakers Grandmaster in your army. And it's kind of that, you know. Let's just get the army feeling a little bit more fluff appropriate, and I'm all for that. It helps kind of narrow down the chance for ridiculous shenanigans and and make the army feel more like story accurate. Yep. Um, and
1: then, uh, Grey Knights also get the Aegis, which rules wise in the last Codex, I I don't think they had. Oh yeah, they had they had Brotherhood of Psychers before, which is gone. Uh, Brotherhood of Psychers is,
0: is has been er, removed entirely, and has been replaced with the Aegis, which now gives you um, a five up to ignore mortal wounds. So basically, five five up, fill no pain against mortal wounds, and uh, plus one to deny the witch tests taken if this unit is a Psyker, which is most of them.
1: Right, and the Aegis is is a thing. The older editions. They also had, like, it, it used to be a role, I want to say, that improved, like, invulnerable saves that they got. Mm-hmm. Um, as I vaguely remember, but.
0: Uh, I mean. Yeah, we'd have to dig into ancient codices to.
1: Right. But it, it was a role that they used to have. The last edition Codex didn't have it, though. Right. Uh, and then we get actually
0: into the brotherhoods themselves, and like I said, these are while they're not chapters, they kind of function in a similar fashion. There's no uh, trait for them necessarily, so it's like different Grey Knights will not behave wildly differently if you're in if they're from different brotherhoods. But it does unlock a, like with a lot of sub factions, it unlocks a stratagem, a warlord trait, and instead of a relic, it unlocks a psychic power. So, That's neat. Yeah, so for example, uh, the Swordbearers, which is the First Brotherhood, um, they're experts in armored assaults, uh, so their stratagem, for example, is Marked for Death, which lets you target an a enemy unit within 12 inches and visible to a Swordbearer Psyker unit from your army. Um, and then till the end of the phase, each time a friendly Swordbearer's unit makes a ranged attack against that enemy unit, add one to the attack's hit roll. So could be... Uh, something like an infantry unit that you want to burn down with, with storm bolter fire. So everybody who fires their storm bolters at, uh, at that unit gets plus one to hit, which basically means they're hitting on twos. Or maybe you've got, you know, las cannons on a, a dreadnought or a land raider that you need to burn a, an enemy vehicle down. So you could use that in this case. And then there's psychic power. Again, I'm just giving this one as an example their psychic power, Empiric Lodestone, Warp Charge 7. If manifested, select an enemy unit within 18 inches of the Psyker each, until the start of your next psychic phase. Each time a friendly swordbearer's vehicle unit makes a range attack against that enemy unit add one to the wound roll. So all their stuff is focused on making range attacks as deadly as possible. And their Warlord trait actually gives them a psychic action, which I th- this is one of the first times we've seen that. I think this is cool, like mechanically, and it basically lets you do a psychic action to give a ve- a swordbearer's vehicle within 12 inches of your warlord uh, four up invuln until your next psychic phase. So that's really cool. So obviously swordbearer's yeah. built around, like, vehicle attacks. Like, you know, you're, you're protecting your vehicles, making their weapons hit better and do more damage.
1: Right. And important to note that all the psychers in a Brotherhood detachment know this power just for being part of the brotherhood yes in addition to any other like it doesn't take up like one of their like slots of known like psychic powers right and yes that includes like
0: your strike squads are psychers so it's like everything is pretty much hat will have this ability Blades of Victory, which is their second brotherhood, is just focused on, on killing things. So, like, you want to get in, enge- especially in melee, rerolling, ch- like, their psychic powers, rerolling charge rolls. Their warlord trait is uh, getting an extra move after deployment. Uh, their psychic powers about doing mortal wounds within engagement range of an enemy target. Wardmakers, I think, have one of the coolest psychic powers being able to shut off enemy aura abilities or specifically target an enemy unit and say, yeah,
1: you don't get any benefits from aura abilities for the turn. Yeah. That's pretty nifty. Um, Cause like, I just, I read that and my first immediate thought was, Oh boy, something to like help combat as brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean that,
0: or like uh, I've seen people point at it for like, Hey, all those Mechanicus bonuses that have been stacking to make, un- you know, like nearly unkillable blocks such mm. Skitari. Right. Yeah, Skitari gonna die. Yeah. Um, uh, Prescient Brethren, their strat allows them to uh, reroll hit rolls of one and wound rolls of one. Their s- psychic power actually targets an enemy unit. And any time that unit moves, advances, falls back or makes a charge move, they roll a D6 or you roll a D6 on a four to five. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds on a six that suffers just three mortal wounds. So basically every time they move half the time, they're going to take damage, which I mean, one thing that's just a nasty thing to do to an enemy unit. Uh, the uh, case I've seen, uh, like, uh, Goonhammer brought up a perfect example of this being used against, like, Gasgol or Satan, where they have, like, a limit on how many wounds they can take per phase. Make them take damage in their own movement and charge phases. Oof.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh,
0: preservers mm. are uh, about protecti- about like protecting and improving uh, dreadnoughts or helping with apothecaries. You know, it's basically about, like, keeping things alive. As long as possible. Rapiers are all about doing, uh, having like charging and having more attacks, scoring additional hits in close combat. Exactors, their strat lets you, uh, heroically intervene. Their psychic power is, uh, you use in, uh, in engagement range. So it's like close range, more mortal wounds for like each mod like so like clearing out trying to clear out like get into melee with like larger units and try to clear them out silver blades are about being versatile so like their strat allows them to fall back and shoot um their psychic power makes their uh storm bolters mastercrafted storm bolters and relic storm relic storm bolters pistol four with a 12 inch range so you can fire them in close combat and so that's, yeah, so basically, like, each of the Brotherhoods is good at something in particular. I don't know if, like, I see one, like, I, I think Preservers is probably a bit a l- little bit on the lighter side because, you know, focused on, like, being focused on Apothecaries and Dreadnoughts kind of limits your build a little bit. But, like, a lot of them, like, do you want to do ranged attacks? Do you want to do... Uh, are you going to be assault focused? Are you wanting to shut down your opponent's abilities? Like, he, like you can kind of look at the the meta or what kind of army you want to play as and find a brotherhood that will suit how you want to play. Then they've got the uh, – we've got a new thing called Wisdom of the Prognosticars, which is basically um, upgrades you can give to uh, Grey Knight's characters for anywhere from 10 to 30 points uh, – there's a group called, like, Visions of the Arjurium and Gifts of the Prescient. They're kind of
1: like little... They're kind of like little relics, but aren't... Yeah. ...aren't, like, limited, like, relics are.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh... Like, for example, the very first one they listed, the Audrey of Aggression, which is one of the Visions. Uh, once per battle, when a friendly Grey Knight's core or character unit within 12 inches of this model selected fire Overwatch... Uh, The model can experience this vision. If it does, it hits on, it hits an Overwatch on a four up instead of a six up. So it, it, it's stuff like that. It's like these little once, once per game abilities that you can, uh, use to bump, buff up either this model or a model within like six to 12 inches of it. And then the, yeah, the gifts of the prescient are like little mini relics. Like, for example, the true name shard, once per battle at the start of the fight phase, you can select one enemy demon within six inches of the bear. That unit's not eligible to fight. Basically, it gets fight last. So it just, it, again, little little things that you can give to your characters to just give them extra abilities that they wouldn't have. Otherwise, you know, it's a good way to specialize. You know, you might find some that are powerful in certain situations, like Servant of the Throne, which is a gift like once per battle when you're selected to be a target of attack until the end of the turn you get a three up and vulnerable save. So it's like one of those things like if you have a character who you think is going to be in a, a clutch moment where they're going to have to weather weather attacks to do their thing or to live another turn, that, might, that one might be good to have. Yeah. I'm going to skip stratagems for right now because it always makes sense better when we see what the very use units have because a lot of them target either particular units or Units with particular keywords, lots of relics, like fifteen relics to choose from, which is a ton for for a, a, a smaller arm, like a more elite army like this.
1: Yeah, one of one of the one of the returning ones that has always been a favorite of mine and is still a a pretty good one. The Curious of Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, infantry model only. Add plus one to armor saving throws made for the bearer and each time the bearer would lose a wound roll a d6 on a five plus that wound is not lost it's very similar to what it's always done and and it's still quite good yeah
0: and with so many it's like you might choose to use like the relic stratagem to take more than one in an army if you want yeah just like it was introduced in um Ritual of the Damned, which this army brings a lot of the upgrades from Ritual Damned into the Codex. There are two Grey Knights Psychic Disciplines. One of them is Dominus, and it has several of the powers that uh, you traditionally associate with, like, Grey Knights, like Gate of Infinity, Vortex of Doom, Sanctuary. Uh, those are generally limited to characters. Like, characters will have the Dominus Discipline, so... So, for example, like you might have, like your librarian or your brother captain might know uh, Sanctuary or Gate of Infinity, but your strike squads, purgation squads, stuff like that will not. They will have uh, powers from the Sanctic Discipline, which has things like uh, Hammerhand, Astral Aim, Purge Soul, Purifying Flame, things like that. And one thing I found very interesting is that while in some cases there are characters that can know like a pa- like any power from the Sanctic discipline, most units and this felt like a throwback to much older codexes. Most units have a fixed psychic power that they can have from Sanctic, which is not how it was in the previous codex.
1: Right? Yeah, that was a thing from the the earlier codexes. They all had specialized psychic powers that they knew, and they were, you know, geared towards what those units were supposed to do, be doing on the battlefield.
0: Yeah, it always felt very, like, you know, it's kind of like old, like, when I read that in this, I was like, wow, that feels old-fashioned. It's like, for example, purgation squads were always known for having astral aim. And now, that is the power that they have. They just will always have astral aim. Now, in the previous Codex, that's almost always the power you took for them, but you didn't have to. But I think in this case, it actually makes more sense for those units to have fixed powers. I think it kind of gives them even more identity and uh, makes the, like what they're there for make more sense. So like, purifiers have purifying flame. That's kind of been their thing, and it makes sense for them to have it. Purgation squads have Astralame. I thought it was interesting that strike squads end up with
1: Hammerhand. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they originally had. That was actually way back in the day, like, Hammerhand was kind of the psychic power that every unit knew. Yeah. And then they knew something else. But yeah. it it I mean, that's just kind of, was kind of a the, a default psychic power that units of, of Grey Knights knew
0: right now you, so you like you might have multiple uh, strike squads and they all have hammer hand you're still limited to the once per phase generally although there's a rule for sanctic discipline, called psychic confluence and psychic confluence says each time a gray knight Psyker is attempted uh, selected to manifest psychic powers it can attempt to manifest any of the psychic powers that it knows from the sanctic discipline even if the power has already been attempted it just the warp charge goes up by one so hammer hand if you have multiple strike squads now basically works the way smite does where it just gets harder to cast each time but you can still do it you're not locked into that
1: one per the way you used to be Right, and Hammerhand starts off at, at uh, a warp charge value of 5, so you should be able to get it off enough times.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say 2 to 3 times easily without any trouble. Now, I mentioned that that's kind of how Smite works too. One other very interesting change is something that's been omitted from this codex, because it's not ha- it's something that doesn't affect them anymore. You no longer get weak Smite. With the Grey Knights. Right.
1: But, I mean, they, they were, like, I want to say originally they were the only one, they had the rule to be able to cast it multiple times before that was a general rule that anybody could do. Right. And that was the reason for, like, kind of weakening it a little bit.
0: Yeah, and it, it made sense. Like, you had a psychic heavy army. You didn't want them smiting everything off the board. And so, yeah, they basically, like, okay, so you have smite, but it's 12-inch range, and it never does more than one mortal wound unless you're targeting a demon, in which case it will always do three mortal wounds. Well, that rule it is that's gone. Painful. That is painful if you're a demon player. Well, now it's painful for everybody because they have full smite now. Everybody, like, all their units have full smite now. 18-inch range, D3, D6, if you roll a 10 or more to, to cast. And yes, you can cast it multiple turn, multiple times. So the average Grey Knights unit just got a lot deadlier, If especially if they're in a position where eh, they're not likely to... Uh, like, let's say you've got a strike squad that is not going to be within assault range. Well, there's no sense in casting Hammerhand, so I might as well cast smite. Yep and uh yeah so gray knight damage output just went up considerably thanks thanks to that change in smite and then yeah being able to use their sanctic powers repeatedly as well makes this an army that is got is going to have a lot in its psychic toolbox at any given time and i think is a huge upgrade from from where they were before yeah Let's see, and then uh, warlord traits. Uh, some of these got changed up a bit. Like most of them are have the same name. I think one change, which is the last one, lore master became psychic epitome. A lore master doesn't make too much sense because warlord knows one pa- additional psychic power from the sanctic discipline, which most war most characters don't know any powers from the sanctic discipline. Right. So instead, they get psychic epitome, which is. At the start of your psychic phases, select a Grey Knight's Psyker unit within six inches of the Warlord. Until the end of the phase, each time the unit manifests a fire psychic power, when resolving that psychic power, if the enemy unit suffers any mortal wounds, the enemy unit suffers one additional mortal wound. So, also nasty. But even stuff like Demon Slayer, which used to be mean enough against demon players by subtracting one from any invulnerable saves that demons might make against attacks from that warlord, now it's just you don't get invulnerable saves against uh, the warlord if they're a demon. Yep. Oh, and if you charged, uh, then you get an extra attack as well. So, Dennis, if you didn't like playing against Grey Knights, now you're going to like it even
1: less. Noted. I mean, (laughs) that's a callback to, like, OG Grey Knights, where... Like, that was just the rule that Nemesis Force Weapons had, was that they just disallowed invulnerable saves.
0: Yeah. Unyielding Anvil is another another really good one for this army, because this is a small model count army. So uh, it gives you an aura of six inches uh, from the Warlord. Uh, any friendly Grey Knight's core or character units count as obsec. If they were already objective secured, they count as double the number of models. So that unit of, like, five strike squad count counts as ten if they're within six inches of the warlord, if you take that one. And then uh, first to the fray, which has been uh, reworked uh, quite a bit, um, it used to be you could reroll failed charge rolls for the warlord and friendly gray knight units within six inches. It's now add one to the advance and charge rolls for the warlord. And if the warlord made a charge move this turn... Then each time a friendly Grey Knights core unit declares a charge against an enemy unit within gate, so basically if they charge the same unit, they add one as well. So it's like you all rush the same guy, you get plus one to your advance and charge rolls. Crusade rules are interesting um, because you actually get to create a a demonic nemesis for your for your particular band of Grey Knights. Interesting.
1: I had not looked
0: at the crusade rules
1: like at all yet.
0: So um, you select one of the following units to be the demonic nemesis. So if your crusade force includes any Grey Knight character units other than named characters or characters who have had previous demonic nemesis, you can select one of them and create a demonic nemesis for them. Uh, only one Grey Knights character in your, from your order of battle can have a demonic nemesis at any time. That model gains the nemesis hunter keyword. You select a master of possession, uh, one of the four types, one of the four heralds, uh, or a demon prince, keeper of secrets, great unclean one, bloodthirster, or lord of change. You can select any unit with the listed keyword that's not a named character. You create a crusade card for that unit, including any options the unit may have. You give them a battle honor. Uh, they game the nemesis keyword. They know smite if they didn't already. And then the selected unit will be used in several missions over the course of your character's crusade. Um, before each battle, if your opponent's crusade faction is chaos and your po- army in- cl- includes the nemesis hunter, uh, you can roll to determine if the nemesis is present. You roll a d6. You add one if uh, your opponent's army control contains any chaos demons keywords. On a five-up, the nemesis unit is aiding your opponent, and they just get it in their army for the battle. <laughs> and then, if they have the the nemesis, they get per- they get extra agendas. They can they get an extra agenda they can use. And then you try to ban if you can banish the nemesis during the battle. Once you beat that nemesis, you can pick another character in your army to have a new nemesis and go hunt them down. So basically, you'll have to keep a supply of demon models around if you are a Grey Knights player to have things to go beat up if if you end up playing Chaos. Interesting. So like, okay, so if the nemesis unit was destroyed, you roll 2d6 after the battle and apply the following modifiers. If the nemesis unit was destroyed by the nemesis hunter, add one to the result. If the nemesis unit was destroyed by a melee attack, add one. For every two true name points on your order of battle, add one. And if it was destroyed by a ranged attack, subtract one. If you rolled an 11 or higher, the nemesis is banished. If they're not banished, then you learn a portion of its true name. You get a true name point. So the more times you fight it and don't banish it if you kill it you earn like you learn part of its true name and that adds to how likely you are to banish it and then if you banish it the nemesis unit gets a battle honor if it was a greater demon they also gain a psychic fortitude which is uh, another upgrade they can have and then you can so basically it's a way to upgrade your characters by having them fight demons if you can get the right opponent nice so so just, just a cool little in-game system to represent that that's what Grey Knights do. They hunt down demons and they fight them. And so then we get into uh, the data sheets. Um, a couple of things to note about Grey Knights. Like all Space Marines, they have They Shall Know No Fear. They have Bolter Discipline. They do not have Shock Assault. Like, they don't get the extra attack when they charge or were charged. But they work... They gave every Grey Knight an extra attack anyway. Yeah. So that's just worked into their their profiles. Most a lot of their units can combat squad. Well, I say a lot. There's only so many units that they only have like four units. So they can have like ten models or more. Like, you know, four or five, but like they can combat squad. A lot of units have teleport strike, which is basically their deep strike rule. I mean a lot of them. Nemesis Dreadnights yep. have teleport strike now. <laughs> yep. And uh there's the Brotherhood keyword, which again works like a chapter Any subfaction keyword, and then something else they brought in f- from Ritual of the Damned was the the tides of the warp. It's a, there's a rule called Masters of the Warp. If every unit from your army has the Grey Knights keyword, not counting agents of the Imperium or unaligned units, then psyker units with this ability gain a bonus. So there, at the start of the first battle round, you choose which tide is currently dominant. And then there's a psychic power in the Dominus discipline called warp shaping, which lets, which is like ch- warp charge four. So stupid easy to cast and lets you change what tide is being used, but it can't you use, you can't switch to one that it's already been in place, but all of them. At give your basically army wide abilities, so could be anything from Tide of Convergence, which gives all your psi weapons six inch more range, and lets your nemesis weapons do extra do mortal wounds on when you roll a six to wound. Or a really good one for closing the the gap, Tide of Celerity. Uh, Anytime you make an advance roll or charge roll, your ones and twos counts as count as threes on a per die basis. Tide of Shadows helps you with, like, light cover, dense cover. Tide of Escalation lets you uh, manifest your Brotherhood Psychic powers multiple times. In the same way that you can do your Sanctic Discipline or Smite multiple times. The Warp Charge just goes up by one. Yep. And then Tide of Banishment is your Anti-Demon Tide, which is a brand new one. This unit gains the following ability. Banishment. When an enemy demon unit is within six inches of the unit, they subtract two inches or they subtract two from their leadership. And every time you make an attack of it against a demon, you can reroll hit and wound rolls of one. So if you're playing against demons, tie to banishment all day every day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we just get into we get into the data sheets. The like the big thing to note, like all Space Marines, every there's extra wounds all around. Except for like some of the characters don't
1: Yeah, most all of the characters have the same number of wounds.
0: Yeah, it's like, like they Drago pre- didn't need an extra wound. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. He's doing just fine. And unlike most storm shields, he still has a three up and vulnerable save these days. Yep. Like Drago was a beast before, he's still a beast now. Oh, and he but he did get an extra attack because that's what he needed. Yep. <laughs> So extra attacks all around for sure. But yeah, most of your characters like Drago and Voldus are your two named grandmasters. You've got your generic grandmaster and, uh, and Drago has the, uh, the chapter master style ability where he picks a unit within like a core character unit within six inches and they can reroll everything. Whereas... Most grandmasters just let you reroll hit rolls of one. Also, Drago is not a grandmaster. He is a supreme grandmaster, which is considered a separate keyword, so you can have him and a grandmaster in the same detachment.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't specifically belong to one brotherhood, really. Correct. And because brotherhoods don't have...
0: Like chapter traits, you don't have to worry about the rule of if you have a character like Drago who isn't in a brotherhood, he don't have to worry about like losing access to the brotherhood abilities. Yeah. When you figure out brotherhood detachment, not counting agent of the Imperium, unaligned or honored knight units. This is on page forty-five, and Drago has the honored knight right, yeah, uh, keyword, so he doesn't count towards it. Also, something else keyword-wise. Grey Knights do not have the Adeptus Astartes keyword. They have the Sanctic Astartes keyword, which basically makes sure that you don't have any weird rule shenanigan stratagem crossover between uh, Space Marines and Grey Knights. Hmm. Right. You've got the Grandmaster and the Nemesis Dread Knights, still an absolute beast. And uh, something all Nemesis Dread Knights have is their swords got a big upgrade in that they have both um, a their normal attack and then a uh, sweeping attack. So they can trade damage output for, for two attacks per attack.
1: Yeah. I, I like that they've gone through and, like, it's the ranged weapons, they dropped some damage off of them just because they're already, like, high number of shots. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the high-strength stuff still has, like, the higher damage. So it makes them make a little more sense, I think, as a reason to take the high number of shot things that don't have a high damage stat versus the high-strength high damage, like, less shots things. Right. And, like, other things,
0: like, the dread knights there like the gatling silencer and the heavy Psy cannon they still went up in strength so they're even more likely to wound but yeah having the damage toned down balances that out yeah but i still want to be on the wrong end of a gatling silencer which also got better ap so more you know more wounds are going to stick too yeah uh, something else that got changed quite a bit is castle and crow a couple of big changes here he doesn't have his old master swordsman ability where he uh like picks a stance to fight in or no he didn't have a stance last time but that was something he did that before didn't he yes he he
1: had he had a he had a like a stance mechanic where he had like an offensive stance where like he got extra attacks based on, like, I think the number of models within a certain range of him or, or he had like a defensive stance where he could parry attacks. So like he got an extra like save or an improved save. And and then he had like a third one that was like a, a dueling stance that only was important if you were like, attacking another character or something like that it was more complicated than it needed to be i think
0: yeah and that kind of still carried over to like the more generic brotherhood chat uh champions they had but that they had last last edition where it's like they still had that like you choose sword strike or blade shield dance which like add one to your wound rolls or one to your saving throws and instead you know they completely have ditched that and then castle and crow had like He could reroll failed hit rolls and wound rolls, and they've gotten rid of that as well. Instead, he just fights first. Like, he just always has fight first. And it's actually pretty nice because his weapon doesn't suck now.
1: Yeah. 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 Also, his weapon used to suck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he was, like, the idea was, like, his weapon that he was choosing to use was actually an impediment to him fighting. Because he was keeping a demonic source, you know, keeping it in check. He's apparently decided, screw that, I'm gonna melt people with it.
0: <laughs> right. Cause, Cause it's yeah, because it, it went from basically the generic the most generic melee weapon ever, to plus one to basically like a full-on power weapon that does two damage and d three mortal wounds anytime he rolls the six to wound. So yeah, he's he's like i a uh, flame on on that sword. Yeah, and like yeah, like like a lot of his other stuff is more or less the same. He still has heroic sacrifice. So if he if he's slain in the fight phase, he just automatic he sticks around and and fights after the, the attacking
1: model is done fighting. So it's like he still has that around, right? Which which is cool because like now that he has fights first. It means that he's pretty much like if he dies, he's going to be fighting a second time. Cause you'll notice it does yeah. not say if he if he has not made attacks. It doesn't say that anywhere in there.
0: Yeah, it says it can fight after the attacking models unit has finished making attacks. Now, I don't know if that if he charge like if he if you're the defensive player, you fight first now. You like you always get first chance to fight. So if somebody attacks you. You'd fight first if you if Crow charged into somebody else who had a fights first ability. Like if you charged into Slanesh demons, they would get to fight first. But if they killed you, you'd still get to fight back. I don't know if it overrides the. Uh, I don't know if he gets an additional fight phase. I, I could see it being read that way for
1: sure. Like a lot of the abilities that that do this are worded in a manner that say. Like, if this unit has not been selected to fight yet in the fight phase, Mm -hmm. you can select them to fight in the fight phase. This just says it can fight after the attacking model unit has finished making its attacks.
0: Hmm, good point.
1: So, I'm reading this as to he can fight. And, and like, his previous version of this heroic strike was was actually worded very similar. Yeah, you can immediately pile in an attack after being removed as a casualty. So I'm thinking it it would potentially let him fight twice if he's already fought and then dies. Uh, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. I mean, it. I could see it being ruled the other way, like that, you know, if he's already been selected to fight during the fight phase, then that doesn't happen. But... That would have. I, I feel like that would have to be something cleared in 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 a FAQ. or
0: yeah, absolutely, because it, it's something like this where it can be read a couple of different ways. I, I could definitely see this needing an FAQ just to clarify if they mean for him to be able to attack a second time, which I think would be great. It'd be very on brand for him. So I'm not right. adverse to it, and it's he's a very niche character who has to die to use it. So it's Right. Like, I, I don't see it as being unbalanced. Also one thing I thought was interesting going back to uh like the grandmaster Dem- nemesis Dread knights they do get the extra attack their movement is they're an inch faster when they're at full health and an inch slower when they're at low health
1: so I thought that was kind of yeah kind the of neat. the range of movement has widened <laughs> and they got the extra wound too because it's still just a guy strapped
0: into the front of a robot so right yeah otherwise consistently we're like seeing the same thing uh Extra attacks all around. Same number of wounds on characters. And then uh, we get to uh, Terminator squads, which are now referred to as Brotherhood Terminator squads. One of the few troop choices that are Terminators. They do get the extra wound. They get an extra attack. And, you know, otherwise they're they're pretty much the same. They have Hammerhand built in. So if you want Terminator troops, that's still, like, the option to have it. The question is, looking at... Points at forty-two points a model is—is is that a good choice for a troop in this edition?
1: Mm, I don't know that. I mean, I mean, if, themat- if you're thematic- trying to lean
2: into MSU, like they're at least durable. So,
1: yeah, like thematically, if you were doing that, uh, the Preservers Brotherhood, true, and, yeah, and running apothecaries, I could see using them. I, I think the strike squads are, are a better, in general, just a better choice for, you know, being able to get more bodies.
0: Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, our strike squads, like, strike squads got a couple of things that are just huge pumps. Obviously, they have the extra wound, which we'd expect to see on all Space Marines. What I find interesting is they didn't just get one more attack each. They got two more attacks each. So... Yeah. They're I- three attacks, base four for their for the sergeant, the Justicar. That's such a huge jump up from the previous version. You know, strike squads were one where we often saw things like double nemesis falchions, for example, to get even more attacks. And, uh, I mean, they come equipped base with a nemesis force sword, which has been switched from D3 damage to uh, just a flat two. So, like, even they're just stock equipment on a strike squad is still really nasty because you're talking like if a squad of five is going to have 16 attacks because you get one more for the Justicar 16 attacks hitting on threes at strength five AP minus three two damage each with hammer hand available which lets them I think re-roll their wound rolls now
1: that's somewhat terrifying yeah the, the fact that they got two extra attacks kind of made me wonder exactly what the purpose of the purifier squad was. Because they got the same plus two attacks. I mean, they can have two special weapons, and they're a little bit better at casting purifying flame. right? But other than that, and they have a better leadership. Yeah, unpurifying flame is no slouch.
0: It's a nine inch smite that does three mortal wounds or D3 plus three mortal wounds. So it's like a better smite with like half the range. Like it's not bad at all, but yeah, it's like strikes like I'm kind of with you. It's like purifiers are good, but strike squads are better and or, you know, or I shouldn't say better strike squads are just as good, but also are objective secured and uh, cheaper.
1: Right, I, I don't know that the the didn't look at the points, but
0: like it, it's like, it's a point them, difference between them. But it, you know, five ten points here adds up pretty quickly. Right.
1: So yeah, yeah, only one point more. I guess the better purifying flame is is probably worth it. So right, if if that's what you want to do, but like the strike squads are just as good in a, in most aspects.
0: Right. And again, objective secured is is huge
1: in the edition right now. So, and it also made me a little sad because one of the thing the paladin squads, their thing just used to be they were terminators, but with more wounds, and now they have the same amount of wounds as the terminator unit.
0: They are now terminators with one extra attack. Yes. One extra attack and psychic flexibility. That's the other thing they can they can know two two powers from Sanctic, so and
1: and, we, and weapon skill two instead of weapon skill three. Oh yeah, weapon skill two. Yeah, so they're they're more consistent, more powerful, and, and better leadership. Like they're they are actually a better like I. That's one of the things about this is is like I I just have to keep looking at like the whole stat line over overviewed and not just. Like, focus on the thing that they were good at before is not necessarily like the same difference now. Right. Like, what made them better is different. They're still mm-hmm. better, but in a different way.
0: Right. And they're only five points more than the regular Terminators. Uh, so, yeah, if you, like, if I was going to run Terminators, I might just drop the extra points to run a paladin squad because it's just going to be a bit more effective. Yeah. If you're just needing an anvil unit to just hold something. Although, again, terminate Brotherhood Terminators will be objective secured. So, again, it just depends on what you want to use it for. But, yeah, it, it is kind of weird where it's like you've got these elite versions of troops that are – like the troops are still really good for what they do. So, I, yeah. It's it's a little bit harder to necessarily justify it, but you can you could probably find a space for it in your army. Uh, dreadnoughts are dreadnoughts. Nothing really to see there, other than we have the preservers, which have a stratagem that will make your dreadnought better. Uh, interceptors, uh, their personal teleporter ability. Um, this one like what they have on the data sheet now basically says, uh, they can move across models and, uh, move up and down ter- like, they basically ignore terrain and mo- and models as they just kind of blink around their, uh, teleport, uh, redeploy got made, moved into a stratagem. Mm. So, which is not that unusual. we've, we've kind of seen that. Uh In other codexes where abilities that used to be worked in like were part of a data sheet are now just tied to a keyword, and also that leaves the that allows you to have one stratagem that works for th- anything with the teleporter keyword, which includes your nemesis dread Knights with teleporters. That also means that you can't teleport an intercept interceptor squad and a dread Knight on the same turn because you'll use those in the same phase and it's one stratagem so it's it's a little bit of a balancing act. Also, their one power they know is uh, etheric castigation, or ethereal castigation, which uh, if manifested, the psychers unit can shoot as if it were your shooting phase, and then it can make a normal move as if it were your movement phase, and then after making this move and, and or resolving these shooting attacks until the end of the turn, the psychers unit cannot make a normal move, advance, charge, or shoot. So if you want to move, and so like, because psychic phase is after you've moved, but before you've shot... So, you can then use that to move and shoot again, you know, like move and shoot or move again and shoot, and then just can't shoot again. So, like, it lets you kind of change up the order in which you do things, which does give interceptors more, more, even more mobility because they're already moving 12. So, being able to every turn move 20, like, move 24 and shoot is great. Yeah. And then. Uh, Purgation squads are the heavy weapon squads, and they have Astral Aim, which has, again, been kind of their traditional power. And this time around, Astral Aim lets you reroll one hit roll when resolving the unit's attacks, and the target doesn't receive any benefit of cover. Which, as we talked about earlier, with terrain and getting those plus one save or minus one to hit benefits can really help being able to take that away is very useful. So, I think pregation squads could be part of a, uh, you know, it could be a very easy part to slot into a Grey Knight's army, especially against, you, you know, if you're facing armies that take a lot of advantage of those, like, cover and cover-like abilities.
1: Yeah. I, uh, the, the ethereal castigation is is shoot then move, so, like, okay. it's it is it, it's... Wait a minute! You you
0: guys can... get jump shoot jump and
1: we don't yeah. get jump shoot jump. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's jump shoot jump. Uh, guys. <laughs> <yes. laughs> so yeah, out from cover, shoot, jump back into cover.
0: Uh. <laughs> players everywhere weep. Yeah. The Nemesis Dreadnought uh, got like it gets the same upgrades that we saw on the Grandmaster Nemesis Dreadnought, and one additional one that may not be immediately obvious. It has the core keyword. Oh yeah, that's kind of nifty. That's kind of huge. Yeah, uh, and then after that, it's like land raiders, you know, various kinds of land raiders, Razorbacks, Rhinos, and Flyers, which were added in the previous Codex. So. stormhawk interceptors storm talon gunship storm raven gunship all stuff we've seen before nothing really uh new there and uh looking at like weapons the main ones you're going to see are like psy cannon silencers which are yeah silencers gain you know they dropped one damn to one damage but went to ap minus one Um, Psy cannons are two damage each but one fewer shot they're heavy three instead of heavy four the incinerator is the actually incinerator is pretty much the same as it was 12 inch strength six ap minus one one damage so like those are the main kind of specific to this army shooting weapons yeah and then uh nemesis like, the Nemesis weapons used to all be, like, D3 damage or 3 damage in the case of the Nemesis Demon Hammer. Instead, some of those have been tweaked. A lot of them have been reduced to 2 damage. The Nemesis Demon Hammer is still 3 damage, but lost an AP. It's only AP two, minus 2 now. Nemesis falchions took, took a hard hit. They're still AP minus 2, but they are only 1 damage each. But they do grant you an extra attack still.
1: Yeah, the extra attack... Uh... It, it'll probably be useful. I mean, like that might be when you're really wanting those weight of numbers. Sometimes that's better than any other stat boost.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Although I think about like there was a period there where every Grey was being made with like nemesis
1: falch, like paired nemesis falchions because it was just such a ridiculously good choice. Aside from like the Demon Hammer, which had, you know, Specific application for being really high strength. The other two options just didn't really quite compare to the Nemesis Falchions. There really wasn't a reason not to take them.
0: Right, right. Now I think there definitely is. Like Falchions, if you want the extra attack, Uh, the Force Sword is a perfectly good weapon on its own. Force Halberd is a little bit more strength, a little less AP. So we're kind of getting to that same realm, uh, that we see with like the, the Celestine Sacrosancts, where it's like, do you want the, do you want the better strength or do you want the better AP? And then, uh, the Nemesis, uh, warding stave is interesting in that it, it doesn't do a lot of the things it used to do.
1: (laughs) It's, it's more strength, less AP. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just the force staff.
0: Uh, but it doesn't improve your, uh, it doesn't natively improve your invulnerable save anymore. Yeah. And then, uh, but then we get into s- two um, strats, now that we know what all these uh, units do, and kind of work through these real quick. You've got uh, Psychic Onslaught for making your Psy weapons better, which improves the strength and AP, uh, like when you you target a... A Grey Knight Psyker unit from your army is selected to shoot, which is, again, pretty much all of them. Uh, until the end of the wet wh- phase, each time your model in that unit makes a range attack with a Psy weapon, so if like, you're packing silencers or Psy cannons, add one to the strength and one to the AP. Death from the warp for your Grey Knights that uh, came in via teleport strike, which, again, is a lot of the stuff in your army. Add one to the hit roll. Uh, Sanctified Kill Zone for Purgation Squads when a Purgation Squad, uh, for 2 CP when a Purgation Squad unit from your army is selected to shoot until the end of the phase. Each time a range attack made by a model in the unit targets an enemy unit within half range, add one to the wound roll. Uh, You do get a strat called the Need to Know that lets you uh, change out which secondary objective after both players have revealed theirs. Hopefully it gets around some of those uh, weirdness that we talked about with like hidden information before. It's like you still have to reveal what the stratagem is. Yeah. Alloy of disciplines. Uh, You can have one of your paladins, which, as we said, knows two sanctic powers. Switch out one of the powers it knows. Uh, Untainted and unbowed for purifier squads. This might be a reason to take them. Two CP. When a purifier squad unit from your army is selected as the target of an attack until the end of the phase, each time an attack is allocated to a model in that unit, subtract one from the damage characteristic. To a minimum of one. Thank you for including that very important clarification. (laughs) Yeah. Fight on the move. When a Grey Knight's teleporter unit from your army falls back until the end of the turn, that unit's still eligible to shoot and charge. So you can have your Nemesis Dread Knight fall back and charge in again, especially if it's packing like a heavy, heavy silencer or heavy incinerator. Could be useful. And then also, like, Wargear stratagems. A zone of warding. So this is for, like, the use a stratagem in any phase when a Grey Knight's unit from your army selects the target of a ranged attack until the end of the phase. While that unit contains a model equipped with a Nemesis warding staff, models in that unit have a five-up and vulnerable save. Terminator models instead have a four-up and vulnerable save. So they kept it, but they worked it into a stratagem that you have to activate.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah teleportation shunt it, which used to just be you know the teleporter power that those units had that had the teleporter keyword have is yeah now a stratagem as you said
0: psych out grenades are a stratagem just they inflict perils of the warp on a two-up on an enemy psyker within six inches and cybolt ammunition uh one of one of an old classics cybolt ammunition used to improve strength and ap by one it now does improve the ap by one doesn't touch the strength but unmodified sixes auto to hit auto wound but it also costs more based on how many units are in the mo or how many yeah how many models are in the unit but it used to cost two cp and now can only cost one cp on strike squad like solve five model units so i think it's actually probably a- an improvement over where it was before
1: yeah I think so. And with with a, a number of other abilities that just let you uh, re-roll to wound, the the increase in strength is, I don't know, that important. Yeah.
0: And then I'm going to jump to page 68 and look at our, our final chapter approved rules. These are going to be your new uh, secondary objectives that Grey Knights can take. Uh, purge the enemy! Uh has destroy the demon which basically earns you extra victory points based on how many demon units you kill during the game if you destroy a demon primark unit it could be f- up to five victory points uh, other demon monsters are three demon vehicles are three and any other demon unit is one if you're playing against a demon player this is an auto take because yeah. it's earn points for killing things the bigger the things the better why wouldn't you no mercy, no respite. Gets teleport assault. Uh, score three victory points at the end of the battle round if one or more enemy units were destroyed by a Grey Knights model from your army that was set up on the battlefield using teleport strike, the teleportation shunt stratagem, or the Gate of Affinity psychic power during that battle round. Uh, this is one you'd have, you'd probably want to build your army
1: around, as far as like yeah. psychic powers and using teleporters. But it's a neat one. Yeah. The way I had always built my Grey Knight armies was to try and max. like, I used Interceptors a lot, so this would be one that I could see taking, like, plenty of times. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And then Purifying Ritual under Warpcraft. Score a number of victory points at the end of the battle round as shown in the table below with the number of victory points scored depending on how many units from your army successfully uh, performed the following psychic action – um, basically, it's a warp charge five psychic action that uh, you have to – as a Grey Knight Psyker performs within three inches of an objective marker, each objective marker cannot be purified more than once in the same turn. But basically, so like turn one, you, pur- you uh, purify an objective. At the end of the battle round, you get a point. Round two, if you've purified two objectives, you're going to get two points. Round three, if you've purified three objectives, you get four more points. I guess you'd have to be purifying like four, like to max out points. Yeah, because unlike in your psychic phase, this unit can be this action can be performed by any number of units in your army. Unlike most like psychic actions, so yeah, if you this would definitely encourage you to play MSU style and have like a whole bunch of like little squads and characters. Right. You Purifying the and you don't have to control the objective. You just have to be within three inches. So as long as you can test it, you can purify it.
1: Yeah, I, uh, another i another thing that would make uh, the uh, interceptor squads good to hop yeah, around and, I, and and get the get to those objectives. I yeah, I could see
0: somebody easily playing teleport assault and purifying ritual at the same time to yeah just drop onto those objectives and then like be able to purify if you can purify like three or four like because it wouldn't take you long to max out points if you can suddenly like. Like, ter- by turn three have dropped people onto like four objectives. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, that's pretty much Grey Knights. Oh, and one last thing, which is actually one of the very first things they show in the book, is the Grey Knight Combat Patrol, which looks to be a librarian, five Terminators, uh, a five-man strike squad, and a Nemesis Dread Knight.
1: I mean, this is the key, you know, kind of... Like, there's not a lot of options for, you know, the model <laughs> kits. Like, these are them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, your combat patrol is the models and the army. So, like, <laughs> I mean, if you want to get more gray knights a- and you need that many combat patrol, might as well. Cause. Yeah, true that. You can, yeah, you I can mean, build them into anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, and especially in this one, like, compared to the other Combat Patrols, it is a lot smaller uh, model-wise, because it's only 12 models compared to, I think, the next smallest is, uh, let's see here, the next smallest is 15, so it's quite a bit smaller than some of the other ones, but, like, from a pure value standpoint, like, you're getting, the Strike Squad is $60 by itself, the Terminator Squad is $54 by itself, and then the Dread Knight is 60 by itself. Yeah. So each of these kits is 60 plus a, you know, a $30 special character. This this will become, or should become, like, the building block for any Grey Knight army, because as you said, you can make anything out of this. You can make your Paladins, you make your Terminators, you can make Strike Squads, Purifiers, Retributors, like, like it's everything. Like, this is the army. So, you know, it's a, it's a really good start collecting box. I'm... I'm a bit shocked that they actually put the Knight in there, but, you know, I-, I understand they've always tried to put a vehicle or a big kid in there, and that's really the one they have? Like, dropping a regular d- uh, dreadnought in there would have not felt right either. So, yeah, it's- this is a good combat patrol if you're, to, uh, if you're looking to start or expand your Grey Knights.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see the argument of, like, maybe you wouldn't buy it if, for some reason, you just didn't need more strike squad bodies or terminator bodies like
2: sure but, but they're just like there's those kits are so key to making everything in the army like it, it, especially you know looking at this kind of as an intro product into the army or a way to build up an army quickly yeah you pick up two or three of these and you'll use everything you know you'll you'll use every model in this thing
1: <laughs> yep Yep, yeah, you can you can use like the librarian parts and like parts of the Terminator kit and and one of the Nemesis Dreadnights if you get a bunch of these and turn one into a Grandmaster in, in Nemesis mm-hmm. Knight armor. Exactly. Also, Kevin, I added up the points for
0: this based on how it's equipped. Six hundred points on the dot, which is one of the best we've seen. I think for a combat patrol.
2: Ab- yeah, absolutely. It is uh, thirty-three power level, and six six hundred points, which is more than any of the other
1: any of the yeah. other ones. They just needed to figure out a way to add sixty-six more points. I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything's in va- in
0: uh, fi- units of five in this army, though. So yeah, you can never do it. it. Is. I mean, you could probably do it with, like, minor upgrades and stuff, but, yeah. But, I mean, this is, like, this is like two strike squads away, like, two strike squads or add a vehicle or, like, like change one of those strike squads to, like, purgation or intercept or something. Like, this is real close to a thousand. This is not far from a thousand-point list oh, as it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
2: Or, like, you know, if you want, like is that if you were try- just trying to build a 2,000-point army, you buy three of these, and then you add in... Drago or somebody like that, and just be like, "Yep, yeah, okay, we're good." <laughs> makes the makes the math very easy.
0: Well, let's see. Drago, I think would yeah, might, Drago would might be him. more than that. Yeah, and say Drago got a little bit of a point drop, but uh, he's still no, he's probably more than two hundred points. He's well, no, actually, I take the back. He's only one hundred and eighty points. <laughs> so, Jesus, yes, yeah. <laughs> you could buy you could buy three of these and Drago, and there's your uh, two thousand point uh, army. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and thing is, like <laughs> other than like you might want to change well thing is though like you could modify like depending on how you built like the terminators and such you could modify like one of the terminators into a grandmaster or something mm-hmm. uh or like modify the because you'd end up with three librarians but you could change one of them at like mo- like give him a a change that model's head and give him a nemesis thunder hammer and make him into a grandmaster
1: or something and
2: that Absolutely. And, yeah, 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 you've got like plenty he's, of bits to do everything.
1: Yeah, right? the the, then the, we, the number of weapons that come on those sprues is is pretty good. Like you've got generally enough melee weapons to equip all of the bodies with any of the melee weapons as an option. Yeah. Or you could just
0: like like you said, Richard, just turn one of those three Nemesis Dreadnights you now have into a Grandmaster and Nemesis Dread Knight, and mm-hmm. call it good. Yeah. So so yeah, it's like this is a real like th- yeah. So you're talking three combat patrols, which would be like 420 bucks. And let's see how much is assuming Drago's even in stock. Uh, Drago is. He is not in stock, but he's only 2225. Jeebus. <laughs> so basically, for $450, you can have a 2000 point, uh, Granite army. It'll be a little Terminator heavy, but yeah, you've got lots of room to equip and build these units however you want and have a couple of solid beat sticks in there. Yeah, it's like this is that's a really good combat patrol when you can just triple mm-hmm. up on it uh yeah so so uh good job Gw but as you also said richard that's the kits so that's everything yeah, outside of that's like, everything yeah characters
2: um on
0: the strike squad
2: sprue richard you you'll know this do you can you make the uh an in, inner uh interceptor or interceptors off of that same box or is it a separate box?
1: Uh no that is that is that same okay. set of sprues it's it's just a different backpack okay. and the, those backpacks are included that's what I thought
2: okay yeah so assuming it's the full kits which it has been in every other combat patrol yeah you could literally make anything
0: in this army with that with those <laughs> well one thing to keep in mind this is half of a strike squad box because a strike squad box is ten models
2: oh this I guess that's two. true
0: yeah I guess that's true. So it may so, not. It may not have all of it. So this one, may, maybe buy two of these and then fill in to taste. Yeah, because you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna want three squads of terminators necessarily. I mean, you could. You absolutely could. But uh, but yeah, no. It's it's still a great combat patrol. It's and 600 points for that value is is fantastic. Although that combat patrol is not actually listed as one that's available. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean they haven't released it or the Thousand Suns one yet, but I imagine that those will. That may be like what they they actually released during the. Uh, I think because we were looking at like the there was a hole in October in the release schedule where like there's no 40k things scheduled. I imagine that they would probably launch those because uh, when did when did Hexfire come out? Because that, October would probably be right around the time. I think that
0: um, like late. It came. It was like re- they revealed the contents in late July. I want to say it came out like either a week before or the week. Well, it, so it, it didn't come out the week of this codex. Okay, so if that's the
2: case, October would be basically your three month window of releasing the model separately, which means that you would then get the new Infernal Master and the new Castel and Crow. Um, or not? Is it Crow? Yeah, uh, yeah, Crow. You would get those those models. And in a wave, and then you release the combat patrols at the same time. That would that would make sense to me. So I, I would expect that those will be on their way shortly.
0: But yeah, all in all, like if you are interested in psychic shenanigans, if you want to take it to demons, like give it to them right in the face, or if you just like if you want a Space Marine army that plays very differently than most Space Marines and is also relatively easy to paint, but also can be a lot of fun to. To do the the small customization features on gray knights is a is a neat one and it's looking like competitively it's got it it may have some legs so i know there there are top players kind of working on on the secret sauce for for gray knights and seeing how it does competitively so i don't think you'll be disappointed if you're an existing gray knights player i think you should be pretty happy with some of the stuff in this book i think uh there's just a lot of a lot of neat buffs and uh, tip and and tricks that you can play around with in this one. So I mean, is that your take on it, Richard?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't really get to play Grey Knight's last edition, but like I think when I get an opportunity, I'm I'm still like really kind of in orc mode right now. But like I may probably the like gray knights and orcs will probably be kind of like my two armies that i kind of bounce back and forth between here for a while I, i can definitely see that all right and so that takes us to
0: our hobby progress portion of the show hobby progress for me is i am still in the middle middle of unpacking and getting everything uh Set back up. I do not have my mini painting station fully unpacked. And I'm. Um, I, ha- I actually. So I'm. My parents, when they moved, because we bought my parents' house. And my my dad I basically am taking over his office like his office slash den slash whatever down in the basement, and he left his two like he left two good sized computer desks here, and so i'm like I'm using one of them for my computer, which is why I'm sitting at and recording at now, and like just six feet away is the other one, which I'm like, oh, that'll be perfect, that'll be a great painting station, and I have a magnifier lamp. To, uh that I use and like it was on my old workbench and it just had like one of those like C clamp type uh, attachments to like you attach to the edge of a table and these desks that he decided to get something fun in designery which is a problem because the top of the desk does not just like right angle or even right angle with like a slight rounded edge on it it actually bevels in at such an angle that there was no like it's too deep in to get a good clamp on it and if i tried like clamping it at the angle even if i like tried shit like inserting a shim or something to try to hold it steady like one good bump and it would just come loose. So I actually had to order weighted feet and take the the like adjustable arms out of the clamps and put them on there. And I have those now. So I've got my lighting situation set up and now I just need to get paint storage situation, which we were looking before recording at a number of uh, like laser cut MDF solutions that you guys have, have found useful. Mm-hmm. And then I can get back to like, building and painting once well and my paints are still in storage i gotta get those out but i'm still like i'm i am i would say at this point i'm probably about 80 percent unpacked which i started realizing how much stuff i actually have (laughs) which is which is way too much but uh but but i'm getting there getting there uh so so no actual progress other than getting close to being in a state where i can make progress I haven't
2: done much. Um, I have been also like in kind of moving flux, although I wound up not moving. But uh, that kind of prevented me from getting traction on anything. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I think now I can start actually working on some projects again. But yeah, nothing, no real
3: progress over the last months. <laughs> Let's see. For me, I'm still painting. I think I've been saying this for the past, what, two, three months? (laughs) I'm downed at least to having two models to go, and then I'll have my sister's army painted, and then I just have to get it based, and I'll be ready for both Iron Halo and the U.S. Open thing. So Awesome. I know. I think after that, I will probably take a sigh, take a breather, and then, I don't know. I don't know if I'll debate painting another army, and I think we had this conversation. Do I start up? Painting a lot of the Space Wolves I don't have painted. Do I go with Talons? Because I still have some Sisters of Silence. And, well, I have the new um, Telemon that I own now with all the arms I wanted, but I haven't painted it. Um, so that might be the direction I go, but we'll see. But yeah, so, so much painting. So much painting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have not really gotten anything done. Um, work's starting to pick back up for me. So I've been on plus hour shifts and, and and I've also been trying to clear off my hobby area because it like the, the little piles of, of magic cards like keep creeping back into like my work area because <laughs> like I keep getting ideas for building commander decks and can't stop for some reason
3: oh, when do the 40k commander decks come out
1: uh, they announced them for next year, I believe. Yeah, like they did. They, a- they, they are they are officially they have officially announced that they will be coming out. But uh, uh, okay. yeah, they don't have a I, I'm date. interested in it's, those at it's least. next year. Yeah,
0: they did show a couple of pieces of art that will be used for them. And it was they're both ultramarines. I think one was Marnius Kalgar and one was a unit of suppressors. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, those are definitely queued up for twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two is a going to be a crazy year for magic. Uh, I yeah, just saying it is. that right now.
1: Yeah. Like I mean, just right now, like the the rate of product release. Has has is gotten me a little bit of uh, yeah. There's product fatigue for me on on Magic: The Gathering. So
0: (laughs) yeah, well it's September now, but the time the video was made, like uh, there's a guy who goes by Spice Eight Rack, and he was keeping a tally on videos and like on releases. Like there's something been like 22 releases this year, and it's August. (laughs) That sounds like we were having like two codexes a month. Yeah, it, well, and Age of Sigmar people get ready for that because they have two de- two codexes coming out next week. But yeah, as far as 40k, uh, the commander decks, uh, will feature new art, new cards, and reprints of old cards that have been rethemed for Warhammer 40 K with Warhammer 40k artwork. Uh, expected to release third quarter of 2022, so next fall, so about a year from now. That works. But we're getting like next year, they're getting uh a Cyberpunk Kamigawa set. Um, a 1920s inspired uh demonic gangster set. A base um, sp- th- space,
1: a space-themed silver bordered unset. Yep.
0: Oh, man, Ooh. I missed the unsets. Uh the Lord of the Rings set will be out next year. And then um the Secret Lair drops which is like they like here's five cards that have special artwork. A Street Fighter set and a Fortnite set. So yeah.
1: Yeah. It, uh, there's it, it's yeah. That's weird. Oh, and I think a stranger things set too was it. Yes. Yeah. And uh in no corset. No corset, in yeah. It's a, instead another jump start set, which I'm honestly yes. all for. Yeah,
0: uh jump start you know what? I'm gonna make that the morale phase. I'm going yeah. to execute your decision. Jumpstart is the morale phase because we've got really into Yeah, we've gotten really into Jumpstart. And if what if you don't know what Jumpstart is. I don't um, know. Jumpstart is a set that was released what last summer, but of course pandemic happened.
1: Right. It it, it was actually it was originally scheduled I want to say for like March or April. Mm. Which was right when that all happened. And so, like, then it got pushed back um, and then didn't come out until, I want to say, like, it was, like, August, like, last year. Yeah, it was, like, late July, early August.
0: And for a while, it was very hard to get to. It disappeared very quickly, but it's been slowly rolled back out. Like, we've had pretty decent luck finding uh, Jumpstart packs at uh, Walmart, of all places uh yep. but uh what jumpstart is is like a lot of people look at magic and they're like well this looks interesting but I don't want to build a deck like I don't like deck building is you know kind of like uh, an art that is beyond you know beyond some people or just like it seems intimidating and what jumpstart is is basically you buy a jumpstart pack actually and actually when you buy jumpstart packs you need to buy two jumpstart packs jumpstart packs are 20 card packs they are what pack you get is random but any given pack will that of a particular type will have the same contents and there's something like what 121 different uh, potential variations yeah something like that and that some are some are more rare than others but basically each pack will have a theme and it will also include all the land you need to play that theme And you buy two 20-card jumpstart decks... Or jumpstart packs. You shuffle them together. That's your deck. And like the... And so you end up with some really, really, really random deck ideas. Uh, Like, uh, let's see. Some of the, the... And there is a list online of like all the potential deck lists you can get. But for example... You might get the combination of uh, reanimated pirates or uh, spell casting minotaurs or tree hugging elves. That's two separate decks tree hugging and elves. And so you could like, have tree hugging pirates. You could have tree hugging pirates. You could have tree hugging dragons. You could have uh, devilish dogs. You could have well-read vampires you could have uh smashing spirits um who
3: do they have pumpkins
0: i want to say there's a spooky one that has uh well let's see maybe it's not a spooky one but there's there's one that has like witches in it because if i yeah, could have there, smashing pumpkins i would be happy i,
1: I want to say there is both a a spooky and a witches one but i don't yeah there's know witchcraft there's, and spooky they're two different lists yeah yeah The spooky one's more like ghosts and spirits, I think. And a lot of these will have, there are multiple versions. So, for example, there are
0: four different versions of spooky that have similar but slightly different cards in them. Or uh, like four different versions of vampires. Uh, So, even if you open a vampire pack, it might not be the same vampire pack that your friend opens. Um, But basically, these make for really like, if if you like playing Magic, but you don't want to get into a lot of deck construction, and you don't want to um, do a lot of collecting, cracking packs, looking for just those these particular cards, you can, like, Walmart, I think they sell, what, is it four packs of Jumpstart? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you can, like, buy one four-pack, one four you sit down with a friend, each randomly pick out two of the decks from there, shuffle them together... And play a game and then like take them apart and then shuffle the different combinations together and play a game. It's, And we've actually sat down and played some like three player jumpstart games where we just each have like our collection of jumpstart packs and roll randomly roll up two to smash together and... It's actually a lot of fun. It's a very casual, very casual format. You have no idea what you're going to be playing before the game, which is a throwback to our days of Dennis when you had like a mm-hmm. hundred magic decks and just. No, that was a combination up. of me and Richard. Okay, but yeah. but and we Dan, did a lot though. of that random yes. random deck. Between the play. three and of this... us, we had
3: a hundred, so we could just roll two d tens and find out what deck to play.
0: Right, and so this this is kind of. Back in that vein of, you know, like you don't know exactly what you're going to be playing or even if it's going to work terribly well together. But yeah, that also takes a lot of the pressure off.
1: Right. And, it it' it also does kind of work well because like none of the I don't know that really any of the cards are really that complicated rules wise so like they actually have good potential for being like an introductory product oh yeah
0: yeah it's like yeah none of these cards are like really complex if there are there's there's probably like one card in each pack that might be on the more complex side
1: right cuz like the, be there the rare. is right which there's cuz there's like the planeswalkers ones those are probably one of the more, you know, complicated mechanics wise cards in in there's one for I'm pretty sure they did one for each color. They did. And those yeah. are some of the rarer ones to find.
0: True. And they even have if uh, another one of the very the rarer ones to find is there's a
1: rainbow one that has all five colors too. Yeah, for the most part they, like that's that one's the exception. All the rest of them are like half decks are monocolored. Yes, and so it, it yeah,
0: it's relatively inexpensive. I think the packs themselves are what like six dollars, like each, something like that. There's no yeah. MSRP.
1: That's but it's uh, right, like, yeah. That they they run between five and six dollars. I want to say usually you'll find yeah. them like five ninety nine. I think is is kind of the general agreed upon price, right. You might find uh, but, them cheaper somewhere, but, you
0: know. Yeah, and, and a lot of, uh, like, local game stores are starting to get access to them again as well. So, it's, like, it, it's it's a product that is basically an unlimited print run. They're just continuing to put them out. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's a really fun way to keep it to play. I've, like, we basically keep all our separate packs sorted back out. Afterwards, so that we can put them together again. And in fact, there's a company, I want to say, was it Cardamajig? Cuba,
1: Cuba Or, okay. well, actually, the, uh, actually, the company. Uh, if you name. go to
0: Cardamajigs, no, no, it's Cuba Majigs is the series that they have. Cardamajigs is the company. Car- yeah, that's right. Yeah, so if you go to they- cardamajigs.com, they have packs that you can buy that will hold these as like booster packs after you've yep. opened them.
1: Yeah, I have bought uh like a couple of packs i have like uh 50 of the pack things and almost have almost have them filled um dan has some some duplicates that he was going to give me and once i get those i will have my box of well what actually fits in there is is 48 right uh packs. yeah i just
0: yeah i just got in on their uh, kickstarter which, uh, it just ended, but, uh, they did a Kimimajigs 2 Kickstarter, which includes a box called a Potamajig for holding all your cardamajigs. Lots of majig in here. Sorry about that. But that way I can keep like all my jumpstart packs together in one box. And it's just like, Hey, you want to play some jumpstart? Boom. I just bring out that entire box. All the packs are there. The cards will be sleeved and, uh, just put them all together. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a relatively low cost way to just get some fun magic in- time in. Yep, I'm excited for a set two for next year. I-, I think it's been a good product, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing more. And one of the things about this one that it has has made it a fun set to get
1: to is they've actually seeded some very very good cards into these packs. Yeah, some very classic like reprints of some old. Slightly older, powerful cards that needed reprints, um, mm-hmm. and and some some actually brand new cards that were also fairly unique and powerful. Yeah,
0: so it it's it's a really really good good set to get into. Um, and like I said, it should be relatively easy to find. Most big box stores will have it. A lot of smaller game stores should have at should be able to get it as well. And so yeah, it's. I think it's, I, I, Jumpstart's good, Jumpstart 2022 is coming next year, so uh, if you are itching, if you have that magic itch, but you don't want to get into set collection or uh, deck building, it's basically turns magic into a light kind of game night party game thing, so highly recommended, uh, definitely check it out. And I think that wraps up episode 244. Um, in a couple of weeks, Dennis, you're going to be at Iron Halo. Yes. So um, we'll see if we end up recording without him and getting his feedback later. Or if we put off for a couple of days and get your uh, get your take on this. The final Iron Halo. Uh, sad to see it go. But until then... From all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and uh, go gray.